Hello and welcome to the Hawk's Nest live stream show. My name is Brandon King, and I do appreciate you for tuning in as I ever do. As we steam our way through this offseason and get ourselves to this hopeful, magical year that is to come. Wanted to discuss something that's been a little bit of a turning situation that's sort of kind of starting to come to pass this past week because there's been a heavy amount of consternation amongst my fellow brothers and sisters in the Seahawks fandom because we've got a little bit of news through this minicamp. Now, some will say, no, it's just no news. No news comes out of minicamp. It's just a bunch of stories people are pushing forward. I don't necessarily think so in this particular case. But we started out minicamp. Really, a lot of eyes right now, keenly, of course, on Jackson, Witherspoon, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Devon Witherspoon. How are they going to play? How good are they? Are they ready to roll? Is it going to take some time with them? And with Spoon and both these two guys, frankly, they were recovering from uh, separate injuries that had them somewhat limited during rookie minicamp. And so now they come in here into minicamp fully kind of ready to roll. And we hear that Witherspoon's being kicked inside for a good amount of the time during minicamp as the slot corner as Kobe Bryant is recovering from a toe injury right now. And they're just trying to rest him up. And certainly with how Jamal out there, if you have Julian Love out there, he's playing more of a strong safety role. And so this had folks a little bit concerned and worried because they start to imagine the thought process, the, the thought of uh, essentially Witherspoon playing a whole season in the slot. And how dare you? How dare you? With a fifth overall selection in a first round, take a slot corner? That's crazy. Nobody should do that. That's that's just nutso. There, you can't do that. Well, I, I think what I want to try to do today on the show is maybe present a little bit of a different side of this and not necessarily being a, a big worrisome issue that he is being kicked inside. I know that this only was more further pushed along when we had this moment of Jackson Smith and Jigba and Devin Witherspoon aligned in the slot on him here. And of course, you guys, I'm sure have seen this clip many different times where Jackson Smith just roasts him up over the top. And so you go, okay, now not only have you moved him inside here to the slot, but he's not going to be particularly good when you move him in there. And oh my gosh, this means the draft pick is horrible. I mean, not everybody's saying this, but there is a little bit of this talk out there. And maybe I'm overstating it to a tiny degree, but it is being spoken about. And I think less than it being talked about as a failure situation, I feel like it should be more talked about getting the most out of next year's team and that it doesn't necessarily hamper Spoon in his long-term development or even the possibility that he could be a star-level player for you out there on the outside. Just to provide a little bit of counterbalance here for you folks, we did get a good clip from Spoon here that just dropped today. So we do have him here on this particular one picking off in the inner um, in the back of the end zone here on uh, Holton. That is... Uh, our, of course, practice squad or undrafted rookie free agent quarterback that we picked up, and he makes a nice little pick on the ball. High points the ball, gets the two feet down, just in bounds. That's an interception. So a little counterbalance. I'm going to put it all bad here for Spoon, and none of this is, frankly, from my standpoint, bad or reflective of being bad on Witherspoon, the fact if he's not ready to go here. Some of this is, of course, also being pushed by Michael Jackson and his level of play because Jackson, of course, had a marvelous mini camp. In fact, uh, he was being kind of praised right and left out there. You had John Boyle, a Seahawks reporter, uh, on a tweet says, day two of Seahawks mini camp is in the books. The later portion of practice featured some really good throws from both Drew Locke and Geno Smith for touchdowns. But once again, Mike Jackson had a big play with a red zone interception. 
And that's what we heard about a lot of these reports coming out of camp is how good Mike Jackson was looking. I want to, I want to just present this and keep this at the forefront of your mind because then when we hear Coach Carroll praising it, understand that it's not just him this was coming from, that we're hearing it uh, from other people, other sources as well. But indeed, Coach Carroll had some very high praise for Mr. Jackson. <laughs> and uh, let's, let me run this uh, quote here from you for Carroll. Uh, Michael Jackson's had the best camp of anybody. He had, been, had a great camp. And, and uh, he's, he stepped up for the challenge of it, uh, had just a really productive, almost a dominant camp for us, you know. And so uh, uh, that's great to see that. We, we need it. So let's deal with this on two levels because coach Carroll's telling you this guy's the star camp. I don't think he's overstating that. He wasn't asked about that question, by the way, folks, it wasn't like somebody said, how's Mike's Jackson camps happening. looks like he's out there bowling. He just forwardly presented that as something that he wanted to get said in this press conference purposefully. So, and some out there, I know that some of you, the milk is half empty or the glass is half milk's half empty. The glass is half empty. We'll be saying, ah, it's just a bunch of combine talk. He's trying to bump up and make Mike Jackson feel good. Or even more than that, they're trying to bump up the value of Mike Jackson so that they can move him in a trade and get some picks back in return. So some people might be trying to present that part as well. I don't think it's that. I could be wrong on this, but I don't think that that's what he's doing. I think he's really just acknowledging that Michael Jackson is ascending here. But there's two different points here that we've got to look at this one on, okay? The first point is, is it a failure? Is it horrible? Is it uh, avert your eyes if Devin Witherspoon is moved into the slot full-time for just this season? I don't think this would be looked at as a long-term move. I believe Mike Jackson's here for one more year before he's an unre uh, unrestricted free agent. So it's not necessarily representatory of a long-term move here, just a move for this upcoming season. Well, let's look at the slot and, and try to view it through a, very, a, a little bit of a different lens than we might have looked at it historically if this was 1993 or 2003 or maybe even 2011. Now the slot is a different position than ever before. And not only from the, the standpoint of how often teams, uh, as far as offensively speaking, will trot out the three wide receiver look, but also then how defenses have had to counter that with three cornerbacks on the field as well. So your slot ends up playing a very uh, high, high percentage of the snaps on the football field to the point that I would argue they become a de facto starter. Last season, Mike Jackson and Tariq Woolen, your two starting corners who started every game on the outside, played 93 and 94% of the total snaps for the season defensively. Okay, Last year, Justin Coleman and Kobe Bryant played a, played a combined 70% of the total defensive snaps last season. So you're getting 75% of the snaps that you get from an outside corner from your slot. So this thought process that he's moving inside, first off to say, well, you're now not getting as much out of him. There's so much more of a reduction in, in his ability to have an effect on the football field. Um, I don't know that, it's, that that's necessarily the case here. Because I, it, to me, it's, well, no, it, it, goes, it goes a little bit differently than that um, as, as far as my standpoint goes. He's also an awesome tackler, which is exactly what you're going to need um, from a guy that has then moved into the slot. Lost my train of thought there for a second. Sorry, folks. But you've got a guy that's going to play this amount of the percentage of snaps, which basically puts him in a starter. And for those folks that are still so stringent on, well, that's still not good enough to have a guy only playing 70% of the defensive snaps. You've got to get more out of a top five pick if you do that. CJ Stroud and Anthony Richardson are taken in this last draft. It's a different position. I understand that. They may not start their first year. 
They're going to have to to win it out in camp. They're going to have to show that they're ready to go. And those guys are both very young players, very talented players. And the returns seem to be good early on on those guys. But they have not yet ascended necessarily to a starter role. There's a good chance they spend a whole season sitting on a bench. Let's go through a couple of the other guys, though, here. um, I had put down here as I want to go through here. Because when you kind of go through these top 10 picks, these are all going to be top 10 guys um, I'm mentioning here. But you've got... As I lost my place. Sorry, folks. Uh, so we've got Anthony Richards and CJ Stroud. You got the Cardinals have Paris Johnson that they took at six after they traded back up at the lines to move up there. They're moving Paris Johnson probably for a whole season into the left guard. Is that a failure now? Because you have a season of him at left guard and not at left tackle or at right tackle. I don't think the Cardinal fans are viewing it way, that way. I don't think that the front office of the Cardinals are viewing it that way. But let's keep going down through. Tyree Wilson, the kid taken out of Texas Tech. Very raw pass rusher going to the Raiders. And you know right out the jump that Max Crosby is going to be one guy starting on the edge for them. It's no guarantee that that guy also starts day one for the Raiders. It's not just, it goes without saying that he's going to get it. Does that then make him an instantaneous bust or does that mean it's a bad pick? The eighth pick, B. John Robinson going to the Falcons. The Falcons are currently sitting on Cordell Patterson, who played well for them last year, though he is getting older. And they've got Tyler Algiers, who was actually a very productive running back for them last year. All three of those guys are going to garner carries throughout the course of the season. It's not just going to be B. John Robinson running 300 carries this next coming year. I, I would guarantee you on that. But let's keep going even further. Jalen Carter taken to the Eagles. Do we believe that Jalen Carter is going to be able to be even a starter in his first year? Knowing the amount of rotational snaps that he had to go through there at Georgia, probably going to be lucky to play 40% of the snaps for the Philadelphia Eagles. Does that make that a failed pick? You've got a guy going at 70% of the snaps versus some of these other guys taken all in the top 10, all of whom will be on a scale of somewhere between not playing at all and getting a portion of the snaps. Maybe those quarterbacks ascend quicker than I think that they might, than they will. I mean, Anthony Richardson, especially to start this first year would be amazing considering where he was at in college and how he's only started 13 games and still so very young. But the bottom line point being is that you're still getting great production this year. Say nothing of the long term when he eventually translates then and transitions then over to uh, outside corner. You're still getting with 70% of the snaps if Witherspoon can play that. Great production then from the position. Great production even for a guy that you take top five. So I that's a little bit of my initial pushback here with he's not you know, necessarily going to be a, you know, this is a waste of a pick to move a guy in on that. Not in the modern era when you look at the slot and how many snaps that they take over the course of a game. I I think the other part that we've got to acknowledge with this is, that, like Carol said, this is Mike Jackson's ascent as well. And I think that's the other part we got to really take a look at. And, and let's go a little bit back into just, just a little bit of a closer look back at Mike Jackson. Because the kid did just come out in the 2019 draft. This is not an old player. He's only 26 years old. And last year, when you really go back and look at the season he had last year, He was in pretty much, he was in as tough a position as any cornerback can be put in. I would offer this. Because you have on the other side, halfway into the year, all offenses across the league kind of acknowledging when they play the Seahawks that we're not going to be testing that Tariq Woolen guy anymore. But it gets doubly bad because not only do they go, we're not going to test that Tariq Woolen guy, the Seahawks corners don't travel. So if if we go into a matchup and we've got a receiver that we want to go out there and really be able to feature, we'll just move him on the other side of Tariq Woolen all day. And we'll put him on who? Mike Jackson. And Jackson still held up reasonably well last year. His PFF grades were solid, not great, but they were solid. 60.2 overall grade, 62 run defense, 
Uh, 57.7 against the pass, 58.6 against pass rush. He wasn't really used as a pass rush, maybe blitzed like a couple of times at most. And then 58.6 is uh, in, in coverage, which isn't great. You'd like to be a guy around 65 for at least league average, but it's not bad. And then when you look at the previous year, there was some nice numbers, at least on that. Granted, this is only from a handful of snaps. I think he started just one game the prior year with the 84 grade. But still, he looked really good when he first went out there and was getting those snaps. There was a reason the coaching staff was putting out there. And the point I'm kind of trying to make here is that maybe this ascent isn't completely out of left field. When you look at him back on a combine level of things here and, and his numbers that he posted, the 445 40, pretty good. The 149 is that's elite. That's an elite 10 yard split, 40 and a half uh, inch vertical leap. That's very close to getting to elite status, 130 inch broad jump. That's definitely up into top end production. Now the 712, you know, three cone, the 412 shuttle, these are a little bit different stories. This is why he has to be, for instance, only an outside corner and how you really look at him because the change of direction, the flipping the hip stuff is the thing that you worry about with that. But he's got the size there at 6'1". The arms are as long as you could want. What I'm trying to say here is there's a, there's a prototypical kind of build to what the Seahawks have favored on the outside of the corner position in recent years that he fits to. And if he's taking those steps forward now as a guy that's just turned 26 years old, which is right about the age where those guys are going to get into their prime where the light bulb's on and you, you figured everything out and you understand the scheme backwards to front. You understand what your role is supposed to be within that. It's not out of contention to say that this guy has stepped forward in his game. I'm not saying to start him. I'm not saying he's going to be this top level guy and we'll get to a bottom line and numbers wise to kind of relate this uh, just on the bottom line level of this in a second. But some of this pushing Witherspoon inside is also going to be the fact that Jackson is playing as well as he is, or that he is coming forward for the coaches in their eyes. He also did a good job of tackling last year. You go through the who was the top end tacklers in the Seahawks uh, over the course of the year. It goes Cody Barton, Jordan Brooks, and then Mike Jackson. And in fact, when you look at Mike Jackson versus the rest of the NFL as just as far as tackle numbers go, understanding again that when I went to that PFF grade, he didn't have a 45 PFF grade. He wasn't just getting his tackles from giving up all of these completions right and left. That's not it was. It was that's a fair grade. But he was top 10 in the NFL for cornerbacks as far as tackles go. Top 10. By the way, San Francisco had two guys on the top 10. And we're going to get to that a little bit later because some of this relates back into stopping the run. But he's a really good tackler. He's in there. He's giving you everything he's got. He's holding up in coverage. A fairly complete player for what he gave you last year. And now let's say he's say taking steps forward. He's, he's now coming along. As Carroll said, he's almost dominant in this camp is the words that Carroll used in that clip that I just played. So let's just say that he's getting a little bit up to that point. And let's say a, a, a dominant, best of best type cornerback. I try to relate this a little bit back to Madden for some of you kids out there and folks that have played this because I think this does distill this down a little bit easier. Let's say you have uh, the top flight corners in the league. It rated at like a 96, 97 on a 100 scale. And let's say this upcoming year right now, you're going to have Mike Jackson able to play at an 89, 90 type rated level from a Madden level. That's not the PFF score, obviously, but let's say, it's, you know, 67, 68 on the PFF score is an overall grade, let's say as an equivalent, you know, but something that's a, a, not necessarily average, solid above average, not into the stardom realm of it. All right. So it gives you 89, 90 as a, as a, a rating, you know, you're getting from Tariq, maybe potentially 95, 96 on the other side. Now let's look at the slot corner. Many out there of you believe that Julian Love is going to go into the slot and teams have given the team has given some indication that that's what is going to maybe potentially happen, but it's not guaranteed. And the team hasn't necessarily 
shown us their full hand on what they intend to do with the situation, so we don't necessarily know yet, especially given that Carroll has had some reluctance to believe that Jamal Adams is going to be ready to go day one after this injury, which would then mean Julian Love, let's just call it the first game of the season, is going to be playing strong safety. So now that means Kobe Bryant is your guy in the slot. So let's go back to that 89 to 90 rating that you might be able to get out of Mike Jackson this year. Maybe I'm shooting too high, but you can give or take me on a couple of these. I think the point still stands. Let's say you can get up to that 89, 90 level. Well, you have Devon Witherspoon, who is a rookie, a young guy, who's really at his best, at his strongest playing man, going to a defense in Seattle that has historically wanted to play more zone-based coverage concepts. Uh, something that he has referenced in his game that he needs to get better at. I'm a good man. I need to get better in zone. So is it is it outlandish to say maybe we're not going to get the best Devin Witherspoon on the outside this upcoming season versus down the road? That he's a guy in that same rating chart that I just provided where you have Mike Jackson in 89, 88, 89 to 90 level that what you would get out of Devin Witherspoon this year would be like an 87 to an 88 with peaks and valleys like rookies give you as he's trying to learn and pick up this zone coverage while still being able to be instinctive and know when to pull the trigger and that balance that you got to learn how to strike that can only come sometimes with experience. Or even if it's close where they're both 89, we can even put it up to there. Well, no, he'll play at He'll play at Jackson's level at least. He can at least play up to there. Okay, well, he plays up to there at that level. Let's get back into the slot. Jamal takes some time to get back from injury or even beyond the injury thing with Jamal. Let's say that the team intends to potentially move Jamal in like a sub linebacker. Look at how big the guy was at minicamp. Look at how much weight he seemed to have gained, like good weight. Like he, he looked like a linebacker. Some out there were saying that he looked bigger than, than Bush, Devin Bush, middle linebacker that's, you know, supposedly be the de facto starter, but certainly is not ingrained in the position. What if it's one of those two scenarios and we get back to the Kobe Bryant thing? Well, would Devin Witherspoon be better than Kobe Bryant in the slot? Not that Kobe Bryant's bad. Let's say Kobe Bryant gets you in 80. And those 70% of the snaps, the slot's going to get over the course of an NFL game, he's going to give you an 80 overall like rating for a season with that. Right? Decent, solid, not bad. But let's say Witherspoon can give you like an 86, 87. Let's say maybe Witherspoon's a better tackler than Kobe Bryant. Well, when we look for the upcoming year, isn't that bode better for the defense? Doesn't that make the defense overall probably better? And I mentioned that tackling stat with Mike Jackson being a top 10 cornerback last year in his tackles. But in addition to that, what was the best attribute that you were bringing? Not the best attribute, but one of the, be- one of the great attributes that Witherspoon brought with him from Illinois. The best tackling cornerback in the entire draft. So now you have Jackson on the outside who you know is a good tackler. And then you're kicking this kid inside who you know is a good tackler. And maybe potentially you're finding a creative fashion to help your run defense. Especially going up against those teams like the Rams that want to run so much of that 11 personnel. So much of the three wide receiver sets. And they want to run out of it. Not just pass. And you got the guys now that can tackle. Because that's what that's hoping to do by moving you to those three wide receiver sets like that. Is that's going, okay, we, now we got enough of your defensive backs on the field. We got enough guys that we know don't want to tackle. Now we can attack in the run game. And you've got a way to maybe, you know, counter that a little bit. Remember I told you, last year... Of the most tackles in the NFL San for cornerbacks, San Francisco had two of them on the list. And maybe that's part of a little bit of why their defense does as well as it is. I keep coming back to that when kind of studying and looking at these defenses and how they are particularly stopping the run. 
And it does come down to that boring old everybody rallied to the ball type thing. And that's representory in some of those numbers. Or if you have the cornerback who's like, you know, oh, it's the linebacker's job. Maybe like you can get a safety on that. I'm out here, you know. You get a lot of those guys that are more in that mindset of things. They're not as, uh, you know, as, as likely as just everybody going in, everybody scrambling to that ball. But when you got guys like Jackson or Witherspoon, you put both on the field at the same time in that way, you're stacking more of those defenders up, especially on the back end, where a lot of this challenge comes from in stopping the run at times, um, where you have guys doing making business decisions right and left. So I can understand some of the consternation a little bit here when it comes to the Devon Witherspoon situation and, and going, I, I want to see him on the outside. I want to see him dominating on the outside. But this is not just a move about necessarily where he's going to be in the long term or if he's going to be a star on the outside. This is also a move about potentially getting the most out of this team this year. I'm not saying this is what they're absolutely going to do or that this him just being moved to the slot was an absolute true indication that that's what the team intends to do. But I think their mind is open to it. And I think they're thinking along the same kind of logical realm I am. We are so stacked up out there at outside cornerback. We may not have the ability as much as you know we might like if everybody was just 100% in, uh, uninjured and ready to go to move him into the slot as much. Well, Here's a creative way for us to go about here to still make this defense at its best. And isn't that what it comes down to? You know, getting your best, getting the best guys on the football field to get the best defense you possibly can next year. Because we're trying to get this defense just to a functional state because we know the offense and the special teams to a smaller degree are going to be able to carry the day, hopefully. And so if they can just get by and be passable, they can just get by and not be, you know, record-breaking in the amount of yardage they're giving up or whatnot on the ground or in the air then uh, that's a defense that can kind of start to turn around a little bit of their fate from last year. But um, it's been interesting to see some of this out there being mentioned and some of the folks getting so wound up a little bit about the Witherspoon situation. I'm, I'm really not though myself. I find myself thinking, this is, I, I see why they're doing this. I think this makes a lot of sense. I think this adds up into a, to, at the end of the day, helping out the 2023 team be its best. Um, and it doesn't mean he's there you know, forever. And I can't confirm or deny if uh, that Witherspoon pick I just showed you here was him in the slot or not. And it looks a little slotty to me. It looks a little bit like, you know, he's the middle back of that end zone, like he was, he was trailing a, a slot route there. But uh, <laughs> I, I, can, I can either confirm or now we're going to have to, you know, see what we hear from uh, the camp stories on that one and, and what was what. So um, good news is camp's been really good. Everything's been rolling along, sounds like. No, no real major injuries. Things are just kind of winding down here as they'll be breaking camp and going to to do their little vacation things here before we get to training camp. So that is the good news on the side of that. Just been nothing but uh, nothing but good. But uh, let's see what you guys think. Let me know what you think in the comments. Let's see what you guys think over here as we, we kind of have this discussion about whether or not this has you really that concerned, especially again, considering what some of the other players are doing in that top 10 and where they're picked in this draft, um, that he's moved into the slot if it's just for a year. I mean, it doesn't have to be a long-term thing if just for a season is it the worst thing if this is what occurs. And, and I can't think that it is. I feel like this is nothing but really going to be just a helpful to us in the, in the short term and the long term, providing him more flexibility and versatility long term if we need him at times to kick in there. Um, that has been an issue on this defense recently. I think you can go back to almost Justin Coleman was last time we had a really good season out of the slot. Granted, Kobe Bryant came along last year and he had a real nose for the ball and ability to cause some turnovers, but he also had his struggles in there too. And that was his kind of his first role out there and trying to make it work. You could make a bit of an argument here that he's a little bit like Mike Jackson, not as he's got a little more short area burst than Jackson does, but maybe he's a little bit more better situated to be playing on that outside rather than in the slot. And there's no doubt about the way that 
Witherspoon's builds made up and how twitchy he is in short spaces and all that and his instinctiveness that he would be a prime guy to me to be able to take off from day one. If you're make, having me make a bet, if you got him playing on the outside from day one and I got him playing for the inside day one, which one he's going to take off faster with, which one he's going to rise quicker with, with which is going to be the position he shows you less of, of the rookie, you know, um, airs and greenness and all that stuff, I would say it'd be the slot. I think he would fit right into it, but I don't think it's going to be where he has to go long-term. I appreciate you guys watching today. Please do, if you like what you're listening to, hit that like button. And uh, thank you for all the support from everybody here recently. It's been just a fantastic off-season. Been having a great time with the channel with you guys here in the chat. We probably won't go super long today, but I definitely want to see where some of the fellow 12s are at as far as their mindset is on this one. And if they are really as concerned as I'm hearing about from some folks out there in regards to this Witherspoon situation and that it's, it's, man, I, I was hearing some people like right on the edge of a ledge or something after they were hearing about some of this and I was going, man, is it really that bad? 70% of the snaps, 75% of your outside corner snaps. I mean, that's a starter. That's an absolute starter. And a guy that could still have an, a, a great effect on the, on the game. Mega Gak Roger, it's good to see you in the house. Hope you are doing very well. Kevin Low Nice, hello, hello, hello. Uh, hope you start feeling better. Oh, oh, you're not feeling good. No, I do hope you're feeling better, Megan. Um, 360 Inspiration says nothing to fix LA traffic like the hawk's nest. Hell yeah. I'll catch you through that, catch you through that valley of death and smog. Kevin Low Nice says, I'm thinking Jackson Smith and Jigba will fully open up the offense. I, I believe you will too. I, I think loaded within your statement, Kevin, if I'm not mistaken, is probably the acknowledgement that both with Tyler and DK. DK, I think to a little bit of a more of a degree, you know, he gets more of, I think, just just a bit more in the double teams, but Tyler too. And, and how much attention they take, especially that cover two type attention. The old cover two, where you, you, know, you trail with the cornerbacks on the outside on the receivers as they go up on their, on their deeper routes. And then you got that safety, both safeties on either side over the top to kind of help out. And uh, we get a lot of that with, uh, with Tyler Lockett and DK. And um, certainly now when you got a guy in the slot like Jackson that can do what he can do, that's, uh, you know, that's going to definitely free some things up. <laughs> you, would, you certainly would think so. Being able to just go to 11, for 11 personnel more and do some of that stuff. I know there's things in Waldron's playbook that probably directly comes from McVeigh. And uh, in, the, in the three wide receiver stuff that he's not been able to implement as much as he probably would like to do so uh, because he's not had the personnel to do it. He's not had the healthy bodies. Eskridge hasn't been able to stay on the field. Goodwin only gave you about a half a year. And the year before, it wasn't much better, if only, if only worse. What you have like Swain at times, I think, out there? King Zoe says, hey, Brandon, I think everyone's doing well in camp. And of course, D. Eskridge is too. I <laughs> uh, think with JSN in the building, D will actually start trying to play better now. Well, it's, uh, it, it's the thing that I, you, 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 you would like to say is not the case that these guys are all professionals and that it shouldn't take somebody hot on your heels in order to get you motivated to go out there and put your best foot forward to be giving all you possibly can. I. I feel like with the way Gino especially has taken D. Eskridge under his wing a little bit and how some of the players have talked about Eskridge, they could just be good being really good soldiers and helping their teammate and having his back with us a little bit. But um, he seems to have a lot of a lot of support that I wouldn't necessarily think a guy in his position who hasn't been able to get on the field would have if it was due to laziness 
if it was due to a lack of a good work ethic, um, if it was due to anything except just bad luck. So um, it, it's possible, King. I have to acknowledge it's possible because we have too many instances in football where these guys will suddenly, you know, go from kind of hitting cruise control to, oh, God, I got to get the gas going. He's right on my, he's right on my tail. <laughs> he's coming up right behind me. Come on, go, go, go. <laughs> you know, you're sitting back before just leaning back like, yeah, I'll get there when I get there. And then you're like, oh, holy hell, I might get cut. Megan says, uh, Paris at left guard. Why? Well, they got their left tackle there set, and they just brought back their um, right tackle that they signed. It wasn't to a big contract. I think it's a fluid situation. But if you go look right now, Megan, at like ESPN's depth chart on it, that's how they've got it listed. And I did remember when he was picked on draft day, there being talk about him being moved into the guard position initially where the uh, Cardinals are not strong. They just lost Justin Pugh in there. There's certainly an opening. And also, Megan, Paris did play guard at Ohio State, I think, last year. Not this past year, but the year before that. So he has some familiarity with the position, too. I'm so glad we dodged the Carter Bowl, and I know you are. Uh, Ski Nation, what's up? Good to see you in the house. Stoney Bakerman, what's up? Stoner Baker, MD, how you doing? Nagasa says, if Spoon won't start on the left side, then it was a bad pick. See, that's where I've got to get the understanding of where you, maybe you can um, articulate this a little bit further for me in Nagasa, because, and you know, kind of breaking down where I am at the start on this, where he's playing 70, 75% of the snaps of your outside guys. So it, it's got to be kind of one of two things that somebody says it's a bad pick because of that. It's because you're saying, well, he's not getting as many snaps as a starter. He couldn't beat out Mike Jackson, which he's a rookie. And as I kind of proposed there with those 10, a lot of those guys I, I illustrated with in the top 10 of this past draft, not that not a lot of those guys are just jumping out there starting day one. So how, you know, at that point, how does it, how is it bad? What part of that does it make it bad at that point? Space in the house. How you doing, man? It's good to see you. Got all my peeps in here. King's house is now nah, more like 86 for Jackson, but that's very respectable. Uh, King's out one more like a 95 rating at the moment too. I'm on writing. I think that's what I had him at 95, 96, but I mean, I'd give you even that. Um, even if you've got Jackson at 86, I don't know that Witherspoon walks in the door. First year rookie played at 89, 90 level. And that's the, what it comes down to is it's really, to me, it comes down to, does he so far surpass, does he surpass Jackson as far on the outside as he would surpass whoever you're going to look to put at slot? Especially if it comes and the backing of now you being able to move Julian Love out to strong safety more and now move Jamal into kind of a, you can call it a linebacker role. It's just sort of essentially this free roaming kind of role within the defense. You know, it's a guy that's like, technically you could call him a linebacker, but he's out there just there to sort of just stalk. Benelli says our secondary is flat out nasty. Linebacker play is what worries me. So where we come back to Benelli, my thinking on this, you get Witherspoon inside, Jackson outside, Julian Love then goes to your, your strong safety role. You can move this around. This isn't what you do 24-7. This is just one of the formational groupings you do. And then you have Jamal come down and then you flip, flip out Mr. Bush for Jamal. And then you have Jamal shoulder to shoulder with B-Wags. I've been reticent in the past to think that that necessarily could work 
But I've got to acknowledge, it does look like Jamal's been putting on a little bit of extra weight. And not bad weight. He's not like chunky out there. But just, he looks, it looks like a good 10, 15 pounds on him from what he was before the injury. Marco Martinez, Kobe Bryant had a lot of forced fumbles. He did. Got a couple, I think, interceptions too, Marco. They got called back due to penalties, if, I don't, if I'm not mistaken on that too. Ten twenty three says, JSN's a beast in Madden. Hope he's good in real life. Me too. That's good to hear Madden's doing that. Uh, Space, thank you for gifting five Hawksdesk memberships. You are awesome for doing that, brother. And uh, we, we will be having a show tomorrow. I haven't decided quite yet on what the content's going to be. But uh, we'll be doing for members of the channel tomorrow more of the Thursday shows that I've been doing here. So if, uh, if you are a new member and Ryan Clancy, Aiden Eccles, Ryan Austinson, Sons of Patriarchy, and Jose Luis Sahagun, you've been gifted a membership here by a very, very kind space here. So be on the lookout for those shows tomorrow in space. Thank you for gifting those subs, man. You're awesome. You and John been been hooking people up with that stuff. And I think it's uh it's great because this is uh the more of these kind of membership stuff that we can keep bumping up, the more I can keep doing some more shows because it we got enough, you know, interest for it. So uh we're gonna keep that stuff going along with doing all the regular programming, missing none of the regular shows. You guys will be getting all the more program all the normal program and more. Um and I'll eventually, by the way, be releasing the membership member shows here. So as we do round up into training camp, uh I will be kind of kind of getting a few of those shows put out to you guys after the fact a bit. So even if you're not a member, we'll eventually get, you'll get access to it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hold people off or count, you know, close them off as a wall or something, but thank you space for gifting those members. Uh, I appreciate you for doing it, brother. Very, very kind of you. Greg says, uh, Mike Jack's rating, uh, is probably somewhere between 60 and 72. Madden sucks. Yeah, Madden's, uh, Madden's overall grading system is kind of weird, weird and wonky. Um, and I'm definitely going off more of the, the old rating style with them. Um, I'm just trying to kind of find that common number that would, you know, somewhat make sense. Where if, if you've got a guy that's a star at 95-ish and maybe a superstar at 99-ish, can you, you know, Michael Jackson then play at 87, 88, even 89-ish? I, and again, some of this is dependent upon us building in a little bit. Let's bake into the bread a little bit here that he is ascending a little bit now. Let's just bake in a little bit of that. Maybe the player that we saw all of last year is not exactly the full total player of what he is. I think we as fans, I'm as guilty of this as anybody, but we as fans at times will decide to throw, kind of not throw a player out, but we just describe a player to being this and that's what he is. And he can be no more than that. And there's times that that's true, LJ Collier. There's times that that's not as much true. Geno Smith, Right? So there's, there's guys at times, and in his case, it does make sense when he did only come into league in 2019. He was a, wasn't an undraft guy, the fifth round guy by the Cowboys, bounces around a little bit, finding his footing, you know, but guys develop, guys get better. And if they got work ethic, if they're having a guy like Coach Carroll, who's the cornerback whisperer, my most ardent folks out there that might be kind of down somewhat on Mike Jackson here, you have to acknowledge that Coach Carroll is really good about coaching up these cornerbacks. And the longer he has his hands on the guy, the longer that guy is here, I think the better he's going to get. And there's a lot of proof to that. So uh, I, I can see where, you know, people are looking a little bit where Mike was last year and going, yeah, he's okay. But again, understanding with this, nobody moved around. So Tariq Wollin's over on his side, Mike Jack's on his side. So when the Raiders come into town, 
and they don't have anybody else healthy. Waller's not healthy. Hunter Renfro's not healthy. And they got Devontae Adams. They put Devontae Adams over on Mike Jack's side 24-7. He had that challenge all day long last year through the second half of the year. And he rose to the challenge. He didn't necessarily dominate. He didn't, but he didn't back down. He didn't whittle. He didn't, you know, uh, wither. And that, that's where I can see there being, I can see there being times where guys take steps forward. And Carroll could be just blowing pure smoke here a little bit to the degree, but we have the reporter quotes like that John Boyle quote you saw. There was other people speaking about this. It's an interception he's having down on the goal line. It's hard to get picks in these seven-on-seven drills. Especially because unlike the one we just saw with Witherspoon where he's picking off Holton, Oltlers, Holton, Antlers, whatever the kid's name is. He was actually picking off Geno was Mike Jackson. It's in the offense's advantage, those kind of drills. It's not in the defense's advantage. It's not it's what I'm trying to say. It's not a freebie pick. It's not like an easy peasy one. You know, you've got to, he's got to be doing it to get it. So we'll see. But if it does, does go this direction, if this is the way that this, this flower is starting to bloom, I think Hawk fans should embrace it more than be worried by it. I think it should just get you that much more psyched for the potential of this team next year. Deron Everest, Jackson, a lover above average, but I'm not quite Pro Bowl, but good. That's where I'm with it, Deron. That's exactly the part I was trying to get to. And it's, it's I got to find like a good term for it. I, I think, I mean, above average is a good way to put it, of course. But it kind of trying to just capture that little, it's that nuanced place where I'm not talking about it being a star. I'm not talking about it being average though either. Gives you a little bit more than that. But where's that, you know, middle ground? Above average is probably the best, the best way to put it. Benelli says, uh, uh, sorry, Um, Duran Everest, I agree. It doesn't make any sense to get rid of Adams at this point. Um, The upside is still very high. And let's also understand that on the upside still being high here, the the, the cost and penalty here to move him at this point is also huge with it. There's no upside moving on from him outside of saying it's a sunk cost fallacy type thing and you'll never get anything more out of him than that. And I think that being where the cap is on on his contract, you just got to kind of, go with it and hope it can turn around. They've got the reinforcements and the insurance policy there in Julian Love. If it doesn't take flight this year, and then they can move on after the year and go, okay, we, we gave it its full run. We gave all we could with it. It just went bad on us. You know, the meat, you know, turn, turned on us quickly. But it uh, doesn't mean that that's where it's got to, you know, there's still potential this year and he's going to be hungry to prove himself. You got no doubt about that. You're going to get your most motivated, I think, Jamal Adams this year. As he's looking, he's looking at the um, mortality of his football life dead in the eye. But Benelli says one's an all-world athlete from the time he first picked up football. The other is good athlete without elite speed. Uh, which one were you talking about, Benelli? I'm sorry, I missed. Probably missed some of yours. Uh, oh, Devon and, and P- yeah, yeah, they're very different. Very, very different. I think that's fair, Benelli. 
Mark Robertcorn, how you doing, man? It's good to see you in the house. Erickson says, come on, Eskridge. Keep going, dude. Keep going, es- e- Erickson. I feel like there's an equivalency a little bit between what's happening on the defensive side of the ball with Mike Jackson, though he hasn't necessarily had the injury problems of Eskridge, but just in that no one's counting on necessarily him. Everybody's like, well, Witherspoon's going to take that starting job. That goes without saying. Well, same thing is, of course, true here with Eskridge, where everyone goes, okay, is he going to even make the roster? Can he even beat out Matt Landers? I don't think he can say nothing of Jackson Smith and Jigba. And yet, over and over, from DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Geno Smith, you're hearing about how explosive and good he's looking, how on it he is with the details, you know, the little things in, in running the receiver routes, which is the thing that jumps out to me because that's really the main place with Eskridge when it comes to him on the field as a receiver. It's the little things of the position that he needed to really refine down, not taking the extra steps at the stem of the route, right? Clear that route. It's a seven-yard route, seven yards, and then on a dime, get that cut. You're capable of doing it. Don't be lazy in the route running. Don't round it off. You know, it, come back for the ball when the ball's in the air. Don't just sit down and let and wait for it to come to you. Move your way back to the ball naturally then, keeping the cornerback out of the play. Um, little things like that that you see in his game at times that when there was on the field, he could definitely clean up. Certainly when he was in on his tape in college, that stuff was there uh, when he would run routes too. But it sounds like he is cleaning up. Deron Ever says, just remember that Ramsey didn't blossom until his second season. There you go, Deron. There you go. Rookies are rookies. And I think Tariq Woolen definitely is going to get us a little bit spoiled here a little bit with looking at these, looking at Witherspoon coming in here. Because what Woolen did last year is so unusual and unique in football. You guys just don't come in playing like that. There's some guys like the, the, uh, Trevon Diggs that'll come in and get you some picks in his first year. And, you know, okay. I even think with him, though, even on the couple picks, it took him a year or two, too. Most of these guys just aren't what they're going to be at their prime or, or quite even, I would not say not close to, but not close as you might think to their prime in that first rookie year when they're just trying to figure out how to be a pro. And I would offer if you can take a guy down from 90 snaps to 70% of the snaps, that for a rookie, that's not the worst thing to do and lightening their load a little bit if you can control it in that first year. And then long-term, you let them wild, run wild and free out there on that outside. Yeah, we're of like mind here, Duran. He says, Tariq the Freak had a, rookie se- had a freak rookie season. Expect growing pains from Spoon. Yeah, I'm exactly where I'm at with it. 100, 100%. Uh, Kevin Lonice, thank you for the $5 donation. I do appreciate you, Kevin, for that and also being a member of the channel. Says B, with all the new talent on defense, can't wait to see how the defense will be used. They've got a lot of opening here to be creative if they want to be. There are two things that I've struggled with in trying to make this prediction, Kevin, because two of the things that Coach Carroll has been (laughs) reticent to uh, make a part of his defense in recent years is complexity and being a heavy blitzing, heavy pressure-based team. That's just not the way he likes to flow. But they do have the personnel to get it done. You have a guy in Julian Love that can play both free safe, both safety positions, play them well, and the slot. You got a guy in Jamal that can be flexed in there as a de facto linebacker at times. Uh, you got a guy in, in Mike Morris you could play all over the line of scrimmage. Um, just you've got some some flexibility with some of these guys and how you want to utilize them. Bobby Wagner is a blitzer as well. Jamal is a blitzer. The man guy, the guys that who can play man on the outside. Uh, if Tariq's out there, I know he can do that on on one side, and absolutely that's Weatherspoon's game, whether he's in the slot or on the outside too. So I mean, hell, you could run man with those two guys, and 
zone to the other side of the field, split the concepts up a little bit. But uh, it does take for Dappen and get the most out of it, Kevin. I think it's going to take being a little bit creative in their employment of this talent. The talent's there. It's great. It can, it can work. But it's a requirement here of, unlike prior years, it's a bit of the opposite to the Legion of Boom, where it's just let them run free out there and cover three and let them roll. Well, now you've got you to do some other stuff here. You've got to be a little more intricate with it here. And uh, how if they're able to pick that up in that way, I think that's going to determine, Kevin, whether or not this team has success next year as a defense. If they try to go out there and run vanilla, a little bit of the old, old same old, same old, without really trying to utilize the talent in different places and, and take advantage of that confusion model, I think that that does limit a little bit of what they can do on the field next year. But if they really pick it up and run with it, and, and it would be so funny and hilarious. We all remember how shocked we were when Coach Carroll was suddenly letting Russ cook in the early 2020 season. Can you imagine the team just comes out and Coach Carroll suddenly has this blitz heavy coming at you from every angle, casino blitzes, you know, no fear, no worry, YOLO defense. That'd be, it'd be pretty funny. I wouldn't, if, even if they fail, I'd be, I'd be just, it'd just be fun to watch versus some of the, you know, softer kind of zone defenses we've run in recent years. But thank you, Kevin, for that $5 donation. And uh, I can't wait to see how they use it either. I think that they're, I think they definitely have a plan in place that Julian Love, especially signing. It's more than just insurance policy for Jamal to me. It's a way to, how do we, it's a lot about bringing the defense line. How do we get the most out of Jamal when he's on the field? How do we get the most out of this defense? What do we, how can we kind of update this thing? And it's just further, further things that can help to update when you got players that can play a multitude of positions and play those positions. Well, if Jamal comes up and plays linebacker next to Bobby, he's probably better than Devin Bush as a middle linebacker. I know that's, I know we're paying him kind of money that we, you know, we're paying you to be above average middle linebacker. Well, I know that's not what everybody might like, but I think he probably would be if you moved him up and had him just rolling like that. So uh, we'll see how they do it, Kevin. I'm going to be, I'm definitely going to be monitoring and paying attention to it. And uh, if they do get creative, I think that's just going to, to me, increase that much more their potential for next season. Marco says, I think another one with Kobe Bryant would be great for him. I think a word got left out there, Marco. Uh, Greg says, uh, looked up uh, 72 Madden, 23 rating for Mike Jackson. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not meaning that that's what Mike, that what his Madden rating is going to be, just that I'm, you know, trying to illustrate a point. Madden's also lay, layered down, I think, their stats over recent years. So it used to be they'd have them up at 98, 99, a lot of those guys. You might have a guy, I think, now that tops out, like the highest score guy will be on 97, 98 or something. And then they have a very few guys in the 90 range and then fills up in the 80s. You know, they just tried to disperse it, I think, a little bit more evenly, evenly keeled. But um, yeah, I don't, I think that if we're, if we're talking about, to make it an equivalent, I guess, Greg, to my comparison, if Mike Jackson's then a 72 by Madden's rating and then by PFF score, they've got him at a 60 and he takes even a half step forward next year to be a 63, 64 as his PFF rating, and he's a 74, 75. Well, is Devin Witherspoon then by that equivalency at that same mark on the outside? I mean, that's really the pertinent question because I, I don't think Madden's going to have necessarily Witherspoon at like an 89 in his rookie year, you know, either. Um, but it's just, just in general comparison, whatever the, I don't know, value they have at, 
Uh, but uh, thank you, uh, Megan, for the $5 donation. It says, I forgot your reminder about the Zorin card, B. I'm feeling very lightheaded and blame my forgetfulness on this. Can't wait for the chest of steel. I, uh, well, I spaced it too, Megan. So I had it in my chart. I had it in my mind. And then I woke up the next morning and I, for- I totally spaced it out. So that one's on me too, Megan. <laughs> that one's on me too. But it's on my, it is on my to-do list. I've got it literally written down here on my notes. Uh, of something I got to get to. So I even got the card saved on my eBay uh, wish list thing. So I'll get it up for, I'll get it for sure. I will. 100%. Thank you for the donation though, Megan. Appreciate you on that. And I hope you're feeling a little bit better. Yeah, Mr. Kell, 72 is kind of an odd grade for Madden to give him. He was okay last year. He was pretty close to average last year. Yeah. Erickson says, yeah, I feel with JSN, there will always be someone open. I do too. You're going to peel those double teams off Tyler and DK. And if you don't, then it should be JSN. And if it's not JSN and you got one more tight end on the field at that time, maybe it'll be the tight end. I'm working on my tight end video right now that I'm, I'm just kind of uh, actually putting some, getting, getting most of the way through it here, I guess I would say. But we had some tremendous production last year from the tight ends. And uh, you factor that in as well. Somebody's, like you say, somebody's got to be open. It's too much talent across the board for not somebody to be out there. Uh, RSA Dowski 69 says, Spoon is the spoon in the slot sometimes is fine. I want to see Spoon blitz from the slot. I do too, man. The way that guy hits, the way he tackles, see him screaming off the edge. I mean, he could go out and really give you an outstanding year out in the slot. It doesn't have to be where he goes long-term, but to help this defense next year and to, to make it the best version of what possible defense we can put on the field, like they say in the NBA, we just got done with the finals, you know, get your five best players out on the field, on the, you know, regardless of position, get your five best players out on the floor. Kind of in that thought process a bit, a thought process a bit, I feel like. Mr. Carroll, to use this on Gino, but it's more so on our offensive coordinator. Anybody should be able to make this offense work. You're not wrong. And I think you're not wrong on both of those two statements. It's on Gino and in the OC here. Gino's going to have as much to work with from an offensive side of the ball as any quarterback in the NFL. Very few you know, Eagles, okay, maybe the Niners, maybe, depending on where their offensive line is going to be at this coming up, coming year. But you've got as much to work with on that side of the ball as anybody else. And that, so the, I agree, the statement's got to be applied to both guys. You've been given a lot. You've been given a lot. You got to get the most out of it. And uh, in the case of Waldron, I think he will. A part of, I, I think, why the offense stuttered a little bit after week 12 was because of the fact that the, the, the injuries started to mount. The rookies hit their wall. And they've taken steps this offseason to try to reinforce those ranks so that doesn't happen. And that should bring with it a more consistent offense throughout the whole entire season. Megan says, Paris is not a guard at all, as far as I can recall. He played it in the last, he didn't play the last year at, at, at Ohio State, but the year before that, Megan, or the year before, he played a whole season at guard at Ohio State. Save the Geese, PFF didn't even have Woolen in their top 10 corners in the NFC. That's when I knew they were worthless and haven't looked at them since. Their grades are subjective by how they view certain players. Well, I, I, it's my belief on it with it, Save the Geese, is that the players that are looking at and grading the games are not the same ones that are writing the article and that 
you can have data you're looking at and data is not necessarily subjective, but the way you interpret the data can be subjective. And I, I think that that's just, you have a person that's looking at it and they're, they're operating from that standpoint of things, or maybe they're just not paying attention to the data at all. They're just kind of like free, free eyeing it, eyeballing it, right? This guy feels like he should go there. That guy feels about right, like he should go there. Um, and you get those lists too, where it gets tough, where it, it also goes like, do how, if he only does it one year, do I knock a guy for that versus a guy that's on this list that's been doing it for three or four years? You know, how does that get weighted? That's really the issue with that kind of list to me, Save the Geese, is that it's different than just grading a player and saying, okay, this player's got this particular job and this particular player to play to do this. Does he do that? Does he get it done or not? I mean, that's much more straightforward. And to me, there's less subjectivity. It doesn't mean that it's without subjectivity. Nobody can know all the plays. Nobody can know every assignment. There is going to be room for error here. But I think the difference between their articles and the data that they supply are two different things, in my opinion, I would argue. And I would go back to saying that I don't ever see it as an end-all be-all, but I can't also go to that place that I feel like gets sometimes drawn to here, Save the Geese, where folks say, well, you know, it's just no value because of this. I, we, you, there's, it's really, we can't throw out analytics at this point. Every single team in the NFL is using PFF. Every single team in the NFL is using analytics. So, so to say like it has no value or that it's this, it, like it does. Is it, is it still in the state where it needs to get refined better and, and improved? Yeah, it ain't near baseball. It ain't near basketball and that respective things. But being, it, it is a, a place, commonplace now within the NFL. Uh, R.S. Dowski says, D needs to play more time than we spend talking about him. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Mark Abercorn, B, uh, you watch Pete, rookies uh, team building boat exercise laugh my ass off that i i uh, don't think he's going to try that again yeah i i've never seen uh pete have a flash of fear but anybody that's lived in the pacific northwest knows that there's a there's a subtle fear on you of thinking if i ever did get caught in this water i, I and especially an old guy like pete like uh, that, that could take me out like the chill to a Pacific Northwest waterway, especially when it's overcast, it's, it's almost the equivalent of Arctic conditions, but just for some reason, the temperatures aren't at that same place. It feels the same when you're in it. And, uh, for, for those that don't know, Mark's referencing Pete went out with the rookies in a canoe <laughs> and they got out in this canoe. And I guess, I guess they kind of forgot that these are 300 pound men. And the canoe, the, the canoe a couple of times, it's a clip worth watching. The canoe a couple of times starts tilting into the water. And there's a few moments there where Pete's got the canoe with the lip of the canoe right at the top of the water. And Pete's looking at it and you're seeing Pete's eyes kind of go, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, it was great. It reminded me too. I went out on Green Lake once. They used to rent out these canoes out there. And I went out with my dad. My dad's a big, bigger man. He's a big, he's a big boy. And we got out into the middle and our, our canoe flips over us. And then you're out in the middle of Green Lake and Green Lake's got that green stuff that grows all the way up to the top from the bottom. And it starts like, like vines wrapping around your leg as we're out there in the middle trying to stay afloat. And then out comes this like savior watercraft thing to pull you out of the water out there at Green Lake. It's pretty funny. But uh, yeah, Pete's, I think Pete's days of canoeing after that are, I think, okay, I've, I've canoed enough. I've done enough canoeing in my life. But it was very funny. 
Brian Myers says, evening all. Brady Henderson said in an interview that MJ has been outstanding. And see, this is where I go to the, thank you for that note, by the way, Brian, because this is also a little bit of what I was seeing as well. When you're hearing from so many stories, then then you hear Coach Carroll say he's been almost dominant in this camp. I, it's to pass that away of they're just in shells and all this, and it's just off-season, mini-camp talk. It's not, this is where these guys, when they come to have a season where they take those steps forward. Remember, he's going into a contract year. Players have a, a weird, odd time of playing their best football going right into a contract year, especially when they're just turning 26 years old, heading into the prime of their career. But it's been multiple sources saying it. And I don't think the reporters are just saying it to just sort of randomly, they're, they're certainly not saying it to make him feel good about the situation. Like some people are saying, Pete said it. Well, Pete's only saying that because Witherspoon is in here and Jackson feels bad because he's going to a contract year and this guy's going to like start ahead of him. So Pete's just trying to like, or Pete's just trying to create trade value for Mike Jackson. I, to me, no, I think that Pete's just being succinct with what we're hearing from Brady Anderson or John Boyle's uh, tweet that I posted out earlier here in the show. And uh, I think that it should get, as, as I think it is with you, Brian, it should get us nothing but excited for this kid this upcoming season. Camden McWarren says, Witherspoon's a safety anyways. <laughs> maybe, maybe. DevDog31 says, B, in theory, wouldn't an O-line made up entirely of left tackles, wouldn't that be the best O-line you could put together since the left tackles are the most athletic blocker on the line? I think in theory, the athletic, the the level of athleticism from left tackles is it's not like there's a preponderance of it. It doesn't it doesn't go all the way into like fifth, sixth round, you're finding hyper athletic or really even really good athletic left tackles at that point. A lot of times at that time you're getting guys that are, you know, your Jake Curhan types, uh, or your Stone Foresight types, or even if they're a little bit athletic, um, there's still some deficiencies to their game. Uh, for instance, in uh, Stone Forsythe's case, when you've tried to move him into guard, he can't play guard. That's that's He's too tall. He loses the leverage war, and he can't sink his hips off the line naturally in order to get that leverage war ever consistently won on the inside. So in theory, there's a little bit of that to be said, maybe. But the problem with this comes back to places that a lot of the left tackles that you see aren't always hyper-athletic, DevDog. A lot of the tackles that you also get out there um, are missing power because so many of these pass rushers now are twitchy and, and quick off the edge. That has caused coaches to want more of the guys that are athletic, that can reach those guys out to the edge. Well, now if you move that guy inside and he's taking on 300-pound guys, he's not going to have the strength and power. And those tackles are only getting taller and taller and taller. 6'5", six, 6'6", six, 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 you know, 6'7". And uh, when they get at that height, you try to have them start to drop down inside. I, I think that they start to lose that leverage war and you you now pay the price of you might be having a guy that's hyper-athletic, but he's just losing at times against a defensive tackle that can kind of manhandle him on that leverage front. Um, a little bit like what Brandon Mabane used to do to guys. Um, that were, they're, you're just feeling like that's what's happening to your guard, snapping and snap out when you move into there. So you do have to have a little bit of a confluence of the athleticism meeting with enough of the power and not being super tall as well in addition to that. So I, I think that you're onto something in a way here, Dev Dog. This has been the pathway that the Rams have gone, for instance, in constructing their offensive line recently at times and getting guys that are tackles that they then move into guard. And a lot of teams are starting to do that more and more. Part of this I might offer is a little bit of the lack of athleticism we're seeing out of the guards 
and centers at times coming out of uh, coming out of college. Like there is a big difference between the two at, at times and what you're seeing from that. But it, it's if you it, it's good in general terms, but it's also still uh, situation dependent, player by player dependent. That you have to analyze each guy still and how you look at it. You can't just broad brush it and say, well, you know, because he's athletic, we can get him inside. You have to well, how how tall is he? Where's the arm length at? Is he going to win the leverage war? Does he have power? Does he play with power in his game? Or is he more of a finesse type left tackle that's just looking to dance out there and mirror the guy? And that's that's where there's the all shapes and sizes kind of, you know, thing to the position. But, you know, in general terms, you are right that that's, that is a trend we are seeing. Hawks owed, if Damian Lewis has a similar season as he did last year, is he a guy you would give a contract extension to? I'm not sure Oxo. Uh, I think part of what I have to see within that, him having that year this next year is, can he, can he execute a little bit better at times, maybe some of the mobility-based stuff? You know, he had issues at times in the screen game, getting out in space and getting to his block. It's part of why we didn't run it very often. He did do a very good, he really impressed me last year with the wham blocks. And Seahawks would bring him back across the formation post-snap and there are some real uh, near decleaters at times when he's just coming across that formation with some force to, to whack guys. But you get him going up the field, trying to get to second level blocks, and he's just not as comfortable with it. And you, so you've got a guy who's a little bit mis... He's a little bit misapplied here in this particular offensive scheme. He's a little bit of more of the old school kind of offensive lineman we used to look for. And that does lead me to believe that I probably don't lean to wanting to give him an extension. That being said, it certainly is enticing when you think about the fact you'll have your left tackle, your right tackle, and your left guard set at that point, and now you just need to lock in the other two positions to be really cooking with oil. And uh, otherwise, you let him go, and now you need to go find the left guard. Who is your placement at that point? And um, there's not necessarily as easy an answer as I do think Anthony Bradford's a pure right guard. Haynes is only going to be on a one-year contract. So uh, there's a draw to do it here, Hoxo, but that's a little bit of my hesitance is just the thought process of I've, I, maybe I've been leaning a little bit more too extreme in this degree of things, but the Hawks have acknowledged this as well. I mean, Bradford, even though he doesn't move great on tape and space, it's teachable. He's got the athleticism from the raw athletic testing score numbers to be able to move in space, to be able to execute those second level blocks. And certainly Olawatimi, that is his game tried and true. So the team is leaning a little bit more to looking at these guys. And that's what does, if you want to give me a bottom, have me give you a bottom line, gun to my head, you know, here's my answer, Hoxo. I say they probably let him walk, not because they don't like him as a player, not because he didn't have a good year, but because of the fact that he's just not quite maybe a fit enough for this scheme for them to execute the whole playbook. That there are certain things that they can't run, especially to his side of the field, um, because they can't trust him to get out there in space and hit those blocks. But it's a tough call. It's not an easy one there. Not an easy one. Jim Robinson, how you doing? He says, uh, I, don't, I don't get Jackson over Witherspoon. Jackson was just okay. Um, so I presented a little bit at the top of the show with this, John, and definitely please go back for my full thoughts kind of at the top of this because I do present, I feel like, a pretty good case as to why Jackson over Witherspoon. Let me give you kind of what I think is the sort of the bottom line. And again, on the folks getting caught up in the ratings, don't get caught up on too much where I'm putting the rating points at. 
Um, I'll even knock it down to 80 level here so I can maybe knock it because I think people are getting a little caught up. Is it 89, 90? If we got it like this, Jim, let's think of it like this. Let's say Jackson's actually taking some steps forward that the multiple reporters and that our head coach who just offered it forthright without it being asked about the situation said this guy's had the best mini camp of any player that we've had come through here. He's been almost dominant, what Coach Carroll said, Jim. So let's say that maybe he's taking some steps forward from what he was last year. And last year, like you said, okay, 60 PFF grade. He was a good tackler, Jim. He was top 10 in the NFL in tackles last season for a cornerback. That's worth something. He was good the year prior, by the way. I know it was only a handful of snaps, but pretty good with that as well. So, but let's say he's taking steps forward. So let's get down to, let's go to a lower grade because again, I know people getting caught the 89. So let's go, let's say Jackson next year, Jim plays at an 82 rating level for a quarterback. Not a PFF grade, not a PFF grade, just an 82 Madden score. Or if we're going with the PFF score here, let's say Jim, he's at a 67 next year. 67, 68 score. Just a little bit above average next year, Okay. Now let's say that we put Devin Witherspoon on the outside. And I think the thing that people are expecting with him, Jim, and I don't know if you are here, but are you going to get your best year of Witherspoon on the outside next year in his rookie year when he's going to a scheme that's more zone heavy than the one that he just left in Illinois that was more man-based and who he himself has said, I got to work on the zone coverage stuff. That's where I'm a little bit light right now. Probably not. He's probably not going to play at that prime level in that first season, right? I think it's kind of a jump to believe he would on the outside. You'll have some peaks, but then you're going to have some valleys in addition to that. Some peaks, but then some valleys in addition to that. So if we say that those peaks and valleys equate to him having maybe a similar grade to what Mike Jackson had last year, 60, 61 being a good tackler, and Mike Jackson gives you a 67 PFF grade on the outside, and then we look, Jim, over into the slot, because some of this is the calculation about what you're getting from the slot as well. And if you look at the slot and you go, Kobe Bryant coming back from a toe injury this offseason, not able to train, they're having him rest his toe. That's the only way to fix those toe injuries is you can't train, can't go hard, couldn't even do walkthroughs at minicamp. So they're sitting back, he's resting. Jamal Adams is probably not going to be ready game one, according to Coach Carroll. He's very reticent to believe that's going to be the case. And there could be a thing here, Jim, where they're looking to move Julian Love out of the slot into more strong safety and Jamal up into more linebacker roles. So you move Witherspoon out into slot. And then Kobe Bryant, guy coming back off that toe injury, gives you next year uh, 57, 58 PFF score from the slot. And now you from the slot can get with Witherspoon, a guy that's going to give you a 65. So I think he'll be better in year one from the slot than he will be on the outside. My reason behind this, Jim, is that the slot guy plays way more man coverage-based concepts than the guy on the outside who's going to play way more zone-based coverage concepts. And so you're putting him more into what his skill set is. Long-term, Jim, down the road, is Witherspoon going to far surpass Michael Jackson as a player? Yeah, I believe so. And even though I've got that PFF this next year around that probably if he's on the outside 60, 61, 62 mark, long-term, he's a guy who could post a 75, 80, 85 type season on the outside. He's got that potential in him. I just don't think he's going to get there that first given season. And this would be a way to maximize your roster at that point. So if Jackson takes those steps, I think that there's a good argument to be made to bump him inside. If you're dealing with those, if the coaching staff's looking at it and seeing it in a similar fashion, Jim. Brian says all the offensive tackles would be problematic with the different skill sets required of guard or center. Yeah, I agreed. Agreed. 
Center especially too. I didn't even I really didn't even attack that. You got the guy that you're looking for that's got to be cerebral. It's got to be a bit of a thinking man in there. You know, ideally the smartest guy on that offensive line of your crew. Uh, Brian says, uh, Megan says, B, can you explain how PFF came to their rankings? I mean, what do they consider to rank players as they do? It's secret sauce, Megan. And that's that arbitrary subjective place that I was talking about with those ratings. Um, when it comes to the ratings on the, on the players, if that's what you're asking, I don't know if you meant the ratings as far as the ranking on the quarterbacks, or if you just meant the rating ratings, I'm going to go with, I guess, ratings is what you probably meant. Um, when it comes to the ratings on players, it's, a, it's the distilled down numbers. So if you have a guy that's played, you know, 50 snaps and 30 of those snaps have been in coverage, but then 20 of those snaps have been against the run. You know, you're, are you, are you going to equal both those out 50-50 as far as the final graded score? No, you wouldn't. So it's it just it gets all distilled down as you would mathematically in those scores and how they come to it. Um, each, individual, each individual play is graded. Each individual player is graded and looked at in their assignment. There is some guesswork to it, but people overstate that, I think, because it's really not insanely hard to figure out what a player is really doing play-to-play as far as their responsibility is concerned. There are differentiations. There are guys that are going to be doing different techniques that are you could only know if you were a fly on the wall. But um, for the most part, especially considering, Megan, that the people that they have doing the rankings and ratings or, and putting those ratings together are former players. People have played the sport. Brian, uh, any 12s get an email about FanFest at Lumen in August? Might just buy a ticket. That'd be fun. I'd like to go check out that, actually. Jerron says, the Mike Jack situation reminds me of what we stole DJ Reed from the Niners. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. My, it's very similar to me as well. And I think DJ Reed's a great, a great example for you to raise here because think of that situation. Guys released by the Niners. Niners released DJ Reed at a time where they don't particularly have a strong group of cornerbacks. If I'm not mistaken, like Mike Jackson, Reed was also, I believe, a fifth, sixth rounder. But then he finally found his footing, right, Deron? Finally, finally kind of figured it out, developed, hit his prime, had balled out here for a year, and then went and got his great contract and still had a good year last year with the Jets. Great example. Kevin Lonice says, what scares me the most is the ability of the D-line to keep the linebackers clean. That one's got me fearful as well, Kevin, especially because last year that was a very big part of uh, the, the problem and issue. And that I we did hear from a couple of different people this offseason that that was a part of the issue that, that belied the defense, is that they just, those linebackers certainly could have at times gotten off the blocks better that were coming down at the second level, but they also were just constantly down on the second level and there was nobody there to garner the blocks up front. I think the um, worries and concerns about where the defensive line is currently at, Kevin, and that that being a thing that could upend the defense in certain ways or or certainly be a factor in holding the defense back while other parts of the defense are going really good is a real is a real um valid concern to have because that's the place that they have not yet addressed and that was the one spot that i mentioned a couple weeks ago kevin that i felt like we still have to go make a trade here you still have to go add to this unit maybe it's just the last training camp cuts that come through and you do it there maybe it's just before the training deadline but i think that the team just goes out there and runs with what they've got right now I, I think that they're going to have some issues still with that second level stuff, Kevin. 
I don't think that that's, that's wrong. So uh, it's, it's kind of the, that's the big question looming over the defense as we go into this year. Beyond Witherspoon inside or where Julian Love plays or how they use Jamal Adams, uh, is the team going to be able to function with that defensive line the way that they've set this up? And maybe they seem very confident in the group that's going out there and what they've got set set up. But uh, I think the fans that are worried about that have a uh, have a good reason to be a little bit concerned there in that respect of things. It was the biggest issue last year with this defense, and it was not an issue that was necessarily hugely addressed this offseason, especially considering the amount of losses that you sustained as well in that position. Uh, but thank you, Kevin, for the double donation, man. You're very, very kind. Joe Manns is uh, with a $10 donation. Thank you, Joe. He says, just wanted to share some funds for my favorite Seahawks personality. Cheers. Well, cheers to you, Joe. Thank you for the dono, man. I really do appreciate you for doing that. That's very kind of you. And I uh, hope you're having a great night out there. And uh, thank you for the support. You guys are amazing as always in that respect of things. I, I can't believe it here, but uh, I do appreciate it. Hope you're having a good summer out there, Joe. Good start to the summer. Uh, Kevin Lonice with a $5 donation. Says what's, oh, sorry. Did I, I got that one right. Yes, I think I got that one. I think it posted your deal twice there. So Kevin, it might have double donated there on you. Uh, Ski uh, Nation and Joe Mann. Sorry, I was a little late on acknowledging the dono there. Uh, Ski Nation, thank you for a $10 donation as well. He says, hey, B, our defense has a new nickname, Legion of Zoom. It rhymes, simple, and a subtle change to highlight its new strengths. I know you agree. Now all you have to do is convince the nation. Ready? Go. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, The tough part with that ski nation is that there's so many people that bristle at any reference back to the Legion. And, and you know, they just want to say, well, that was its own thing. That's in any reference back to it. It's like, nah, that's its own thing. If you got to do the new nickname. I, I love the Legion of Zoom name. I do. Don't get me wrong there. But I do like the thought process of a, an, a wholly unique nickname. You know, that I, I, there's a, there is a beauty behind connecting the nicknames between different eras to each other. Um, and I love just kind of keeping that spirit alive, the, the LOB sort of spirit. But I do like the thought process of coming up with something kind of new too. I mean, if they end up landing on Legion of Zoom, I'll definitely back it. I'll definitely back it, Ski Nation. But, uh, you know... I like creativity. I like a little bit of a different different vibe to it, you know? Give me something a little bit, you know? We, I feel like we can come up with something, you know? A little riot, a little more. I mean, Legion of Zoom's got a little bit of uh, phoneticness to it, I guess. It's got a little bit of phoneticness to it, but I don't know, you know? I like it. But you're going to have some people going, just leave the past in the past. Let the past die. That's what they'll say. I'm not necessarily one of those guys. I'd be... I'll be okay with it if they, if Seahawk fandom agrees that that's what they want to go with, I'll go with it. But uh, I don't know. The defense has got to play good first here before we can probably give it a nickname. You know what I mean? They can't, they got to get themselves out of the 28th, 29th best defense in the NFL realm before we can start uh, giving them monikers, I think, with that. But uh, thank you, Ski Nation, for the $10 donation. Appreciate you on that. Uh, very, very kind of you. Not for sales is Jackson can be like Walter Thurman or Jeremy level, Jeremy Lane level above average, but not great. Exactly. Perfectly put. Beautifully put. Dev Dog says JSN is a 98 on Madden and Spoon is a 99. Holy hell. Uh, I've got a 98 overall ultimate team with 51 players, 99 Greg Olson, 98 Noah fan, 99 Gino, 
99k9 oh my gosh <laughs> the madden ultimate teams oh goodness i'm i'm not super super enthused by what i'm seeing from the madden cuts by the way the the patrick mahomes dive pass thing it's gonna be the odell beckham catch thing animation all over again it's like you're getting the catch five times in one game <sighs> i know a lot of you guys got hopes for the NCAA game coming out, but that one, I don't, I'm, mine stuff started to dwindle on that one too, just a little bit. Daniel Barry in the house. What's up, Daniel? Jim Robinson says, How is that, how is that good drafting fifth just to have him started nickelback? Wasted pick instead of a draft uh, stud defensive lineman. Um, well, again, too, Jim, I, I'd offer, I, I really built this whole show out. I put, I put materials behind it. I put, layouts. I did all that type of stuff to present my case in this in more full. Um, I think that when you get stuck on the fifth pick in the draft and saying the fifth pick has got to give me this and he's got to give me that and it needs to be this. Um, I, I don't know if we can go there quite yet on that pick. And my part of the relation that I put at the top of this show, Jim, is that two of those quarterbacks taken in the top five might not even start this season. Does that make him a bad pick? No, no, because you know, you're getting long-term, you're starting quarterbacks, so you're willing to wait and said, okay, but they're not getting any production out of that guy this year. Zero, zip, zero, none, nada, right? Let's keep going though, Jim. Let's not start, let's not stop there. Let's go through these 10 picks in that first round. And certainly, um, Will Anderson is going to start there at Houston. No doubt about that. But let's take number pick six. Let's take pick seven. Let's go through all those selections. Are all of those guys going to start? Is Tyree Wilson going to start, Jim? 100% for sure. And if he doesn't start, does that make him a bust? If he's not ready day one, guys are rookies. Guys develop slow. Guys need some time at times. Um, let's also remember, Jim, that this was a, not a super strong draft. And something that we talked about throughout the whole process of the draft going through it, something I was consistent about before the draft and after the draft, so I'm going to remain consistent about it right now. This was a weak draft. It would be great if you happen to got to pick in the top five in a magnificent draft that was super strong and there was all these players that were great in every different direction, but there weren't. There weren't. And Jim, if you go through these guys, Bijan Robinson. Jim, Bijan Robinson's going to the Falcons this year. The Falcons have Cordell Patterson and they have Tyler Algiers who, had him, who gave him a very good rookie year. They're going to run the ball as heavy as any team in the NFL, but they're going to disperse those carries between the three guys. Does that make it a waste then? Because you took B. John Robinson then at that pick in that spot? Because after all, aren't you trying to get the most out of those rookie, quarter, rookie running backs on their rookie deals? No, it doesn't. If Jim Robinson, if Jalen Carter plays less than 40% of the snaps for the Philadelphia Eagles this year because he's stacked behind Jordan Davis and Fletcher Cox at that defensive line position, does that make it a wasted pick for the Eagles from their viewpoint, from their standpoint? No. Remember, Jim, your slot last year played 70% of the snaps defensively. Your starters on the outside, Jim, your corners on the outside played 93 and 94% of the snaps respectively. So we're talking about, we're talking about what? 20% difference here in the number of snaps. And again, if some of this isn't just about Witherspoon, Jim, some of this is about the ascent potentially of Mike Jackson. And I know from your comments, you kind of have Mike Jackson kind of a fitted to a certain spot in your mind of he's okay, that's where he's been. But as we're trying to give you some examples here of other players, like a DJ Reed, for instance, there is recent history, even with your own Hawks, of guys who, 
you might have had as a certain view of who they were as a player, but as they started to round up into that prime, as they started to grow as a player, as they started to get away from being a rookie young player to being a full grown man in the sport, they suddenly became better with that. It's not that shocking. I don't think it's, it's, it would be super out of line to say that Mike Jackson gives you a better year than what he gave you last year, and he didn't give you a bad year last year. Doesn't mean I think he's going to go to stardom here, Jim, but above average, above average, and is Witherspoon ready to hit above average in his rookie year? And if he's not ready to hit above average in his rookie year, is that some, is, is, does that mean that he's a failure to pick? No, it does not. We got to give draft picks a couple of years, and we got I know we want to think about these guys being able to start day one and have some insane impact, but even then, I think he's going to have pretty insane impact as a slot corner. So even from that standpoint, I can't, I can't quite get that. It's a small moment, Jim, 93, 94% of the defensive snaps. Your slot played 70%. Talking about 23%, 23% difference in the number of snaps between those two positions. Uh, Ryan Ball says, Brandon, what was the last, what was, uh, Brandon, was last year the most playing time that Mike Jacks has had in a season? Uh, can you look it up? I, I know it was, yes. He came in the league in 2019 bounced around, not really being given much of an opportunity. Then he finally, not last year, but the year before, came in, remember, and played for us in two games, starting one of them. And in that one game that he played for us, by the way, that he started in that 2021 season, he was your highest-rated defensive player in that game by PFF. But no, no, he didn't get a chance to play before those two years. And New England, New England had him for a cup of coffee, but he was in for like four plays. Looked like special team snaps to me when I was doing some research for it. Uh, not for sale says now, now Thurman made a big play every time he got in the game. Thurman was good for us. Yeah, he was good for us in that final year, especially. Duran wants to see Adams at linebacker. I'm down for it too. What the hell, right, Duran? It's the worst can happen at this point. Donnie Pearson's in the house. How you doing, man? Hope you're doing well. Happy National Flag Day to you too. Jordan, the Madden ratings never made sense. No, that's, they're definitely, they've got their own, and they, they don't have a standard set. They kind of fluctuate year to year on how they, how they do it. Jordan says Lockett's a star development when worse players are superstar. <laughs> that makes sense. Them shading him. Uh, Sauce is an 89 right now. Uh, yeah, I bet they put him about that. Why is he not a 99? The way that guy gets hyped. Uh, Mega says, you don't really want that funk, large and Funko, do you, B? Of course I do. Of course I do. Michael Bazayat. Thotis, uh, Eskridge, Effetti, Fuller, Hunt, Penny, the list goes on, but why do we get so little from so many of our rookies? Why do so many of them only seem to be good late? Um, well, let's, let's go down through the list of things, I think, a little bit here uh, in, the re in the respect of um, those picks. I, my offer to you on this, Michael, would be that you there's a little bit of, in my mind at least, um, a splitting between the last two drafts and the drafts that fell before that. The players you mention are all in different places in the draft. Uh, Eskridge is a second-round pick. Effetti's a first-round pick. What, Fuller, what was he, undrafted? Hunt was like a sixth-rounder, fifth-rounder. 
Penny was a first rounder. So there's different places, different expectations on all those guys. But the thing that I think is stands out to me with those selections, and I can make the argument, at least especially on those of those selections that were high, Eskridge, Effetti, and Penny, especially, or Michael, because at Fuller or Hunt, those are flyer situations. You're not expecting a lot from those guys anyway, especially as rookies. But when it comes to those particular guys, you made the pick because of a need situation. Penny was picked because you didn't trust the health of Carson and you wanted to run the ball and you wanted to have impact there. And that's why you made the selection as much as anything else. You certainly liked his talent, loved his talent, but you had your eye on filling a need for your running back room. Uh, Eskridge was here to give you the guy that was going to be your Cooper Cup, the thing that you needed to give to Waldron in this offense to make this offense go. It wasn't necessarily the pick that was the best player at the best time that just, this was the perfect fit. Uh, Afedi, I would offer the same way. You took him in the first round for a need that you had at right tackle. Guy's best future probably would have been as being a right guard in this league rather than being a right tackle. If you just started him there from day one, that probably would have been the best version of Afedi in the NFL. So I would offer that their failures in the draft came down to reaching for need. That's where a lot of those picks fail out of. And that why they got last year, Michael, the returns they did from the rookies, why Tariq Woolen gave you uh, a Pro Bowl level year on the outside. And Abraham Lucas and Charles Cross were really good. And Kenneth Walker was really good. And Boyamafe was a good run stuffer from day one. The reason you got that production from them was because you went for value. You got just the best player on your board. And from that, then you got the player that was ready to contribute and give you something. And it may not have been for a position you absolutely happened to be hit for positions of need last year. But it's also why I have faith, Michael, that this year's draft is going to provide something more akin to what was last year, where these guys are going to be good picks and good players for us because value is drawing the board and not need. And they were stuck in need at that time because they still looked at themselves in the Super Bowl window and being, oh, we're one solidified right tackle away from being able to go on a Super Bowl run. Or we're one, you know, this or that with Rashad Penny, one running back that we can get to back up Carson who's going to break down over the course of the year from going on a run. You know, that's just a different mindset too. And Power Coat says, oh, Hawks Nest. So happy to see you, brother. My caps lock indicate lots of excitement if you couldn't tell. I couldn't tell. <laughs> I could tell very strongly. It's good to see you in Power Code. Hope you're doing well, man. Uh, Ski Nation with another $2 donation. Thank you, Ski Nation, for the double donos. Says, okay, fine, no legion. Guess it's the Boogie Brigade. I like the Boogie Brigade. See, I'm, I could go with that, Ski Nation. We got to have our own, they just got to have their own kind of feel, you know? The purple people eater, the steel curtain, the legion of boom, you know, like just there's something about, they all got to have their kind of just their own little thing to them, you know, their own little, their own little carved out area, especially if they're going to be a, uh, an exceptional defense or an all timer type defense, but I'm good boogie brigade. You, you got me with that one. Sign me up, brother. Sign me up. David Gee says, isn't Spoon getting lots of reps in the nickel spot? Not sure how I feel about that. Certainly why I wanted to have this show today, Save the Geese, was have a little bit more of a, a discussion about this with, with folks. Um, and I know that there is a lot of folks, I'm, I'm disagreeing with it, but I'll acknowledge there, there's a lot of folks that have a lot of consternation at the thought of Witherspoon being in the slot this upcoming season. Uh, and at the forefront of that is, I've read it on a couple of these comments, is that then that pick becomes a failure for folks. Um, if that does that if that does become the case. It's not that way with me. I'm trying to make an argument that it doesn't have to be that way. But I can acknowledge there's definitely a good amount of people that do have a bit of that feeling. Jordan says, sometimes wide receivers take three years to get it. It's not unheard of. Paul Richardson, right, Jordan? There, there's an example of one right there. 
in our own house in recent years. The guy finally got it turned on right at the time that he was about to be a, a free agent. It's funny how those things coincide. Oxo says rookies on Madden aren't usually higher rated higher than 79. You're right. Exactly. And Madden ratings are a little bit, but it, it just, it's, it's a contextual thing. It's it really beyond the ratings on this stuff. It's more of just, if Mike Jackson's here and Witherspoon will be just a slight notch below where he'll be up this upcoming year, but we move him into the slot and he can be actually right up here versus what we're getting from the position here. It's a better, maybe overall defense. Yeah. Uh, Seahawks Jose Rodriguez says, we talking about practice, practice. We're talking about practice, practice, not the game. Not the game. <laughs> What's up, Jose? Hope you're having a good night, man. It's good to see you in the house. Save the Geese top five pick playing nickel and not on the outside. Yeah, for the folks caught up on the outside playing nickel thing, I, I, and I know I'm behind in the comments, but I'm not that far behind. Um, two things I want to see kind of if you can reference to this, if you can save the geese on just your thoughts on this. Number one, the fact that the slot has become basically a starter in this league. You're playing, we played last year, the stats, these are the exact stats. 94% of the defensive snaps and 93% of the defensive snaps were played by Tariq Woolen and Mike Jackson. Not 100%, not 98, not 99, not 97, 93 and 94% of the snaps. Your nickel played 70% of the snaps. So it's not a great drop-off to go to the nickel from a standpoint of how many snaps on the football field they're getting. Is it that he can't have the same impact inside, do you feel like, that he can't have on the outside at that point? Is, it, is there no opening in your thought process on at that point that long-term down the road when you don't have a guy like Mike Jackson playing as well as he's playing right now, that you will then move Witherspoon back to the outside? And that then he's played one year in the slot and the rest of his career he'll be on the outside and no one will say boo about that. I mean, I don't see the great downside on it, but I, I do kind of want to understand too. Um, where people are coming from with this because that's the thing I come back to is I go, well, I don't, I don't get it. He's still playing the same almost amount of snaps here. And uh, you know, we've, we've been kind of wrecked by slot guys in recent history. More so than we've been, I would say we've been wrecked by guys on the outside as far as some receiver just giving us the business over the course of a game. We've been given the business has been more by slot receivers like Cooper cup and Amon St. Brown and those kind of guys. Megan says, one reason at guard and one season at guard and you're going to slot Paris straight into guard? Oh, okay. Um, this is, again, Megan, a little bit of like, this is what I'm trying to apply a little bit in the thinking here a little bit. I don't know if I'm getting anywhere. I'm probably not getting across what I'm trying to get across. Um, teams are trying to put out their best players and get their best players out on the field. And you would love to do that ideally by grabbing this guy here and you've got a, a great guy here and a great guy there and a great guy there. Sometimes you got to, piece it together in the modern age with the salary cap. And sometimes to put the best team out there, it's you're getting creative with it. Um, Paris Johnson is going to be a left tackle long-term for that team, Megan. Paris Johnson, left tackle or right tackle. They happen to have two functional guys at those sides right now, but they do know there's going to be an opening there long-term for it. They know he can play guard and play really well for them immediately in that spot. It's an indication they're trying to build up their offensive line stronger. Um, I'm sure that there was a little bit of discussion with them on that pick about what to do. Part of why I tried to give that example, be it Jalen Carter or Paris Johnson or the quarterbacks that are not going to play very often or B. John Robinson, who's going to split all of those carries 
We're getting lost a little bit in the forest despite the trees. Part of my point with that was that this particular draft was not a particularly strong draft, especially at the top of the draft. And one reason you're seeing these teams in the top 10 move guys around, or guys aren't starting, or this guy's sharing carries with this guy, or this guy in Philadelphia is going to play less than 40% of the snaps. All of that is an indicator and should be an indicator for folks that are kind of on this. I keep seeing this. You got the fifth overall pick. You should kick ass and take names and not ask for any apologies. Okay. So every draft is built equally. Every draft has monsters in the top five, every single one. And they're all equal monsters. They're all equally awesome and devastating. Maybe not. Maybe this particular draft we had just kind of sucked. Let me, as I always do, give you guys an example. The last time your Seattle Seahawks had an opportunity to pick in the top five was 20 years ago. And people beat up the pick of Aaron Curry right and left, right and left, right and left. And for those folks that beat up the pick of Aaron Curry, right and left, right and left, right and left. Have you gone back and taken a look at the first round of that draft? Have you gone pick by pick to see how the careers win of all of those guys picked in the top 15 of that draft? Not a, let me save you some time. It's not a pretty picture. It's really bad. There are drafts that are good. There are drafts that are bad. There are drafts that are exceptional. There are drafts that are middle of the road. This draft this year, due to being first off naturally a little bit weak, impacted it. But then the secondary part that came in, the jackhammer that came into the room was the NIL. The money came in and drew every kind of prospect back off the board in this draft. So it affected everything, but it especially affected the top of this draft. So when we get caught up and saying, I'm getting a guy in the top five, he's got to be this in this draft. And I gave those representations of those, those guys in the top 10. I can give you all the guys except for maybe Will Anderson just about. There's no guarantee these guys are starting. There's no guarantee these guys are playing 10, 20% of the snaps. Say nothing of what I'm allotting to Devon Witherspoon, which is 70% of the snaps. I don't think B. John Robinson's playing 70% of the snaps. I don't think Jalen Carter's playing 70% of the snaps. Paris Johnson's going to play out of position probably for most of the year at guard. All of these teams are having to get a little bit creative. And I'm not talking about picks taken in the top 20, top 30. I'm talking top 10. All of these teams are having to get creative in how they employ these prospects. And it doesn't mean those prospects are failures as pick. It means the teams had to do what they had to do in this given draft. Those players aren't bad necessarily, but you're just getting the most out of the picks and you're being creative about it. Um, so that's, and, and again, I'm sorry if I'm maybe not quite getting it across well, because I, I think there is some confusion in how I'm push, putting it across a bit. That's, that's how I'm trying to look at it. Ghosty Boy says, how do you feel about our O-line? I'm confident in most of our offense, but our O-line is kind of unproven. And I feel like this could throw off our entire offense if they don't hold up. What do you think? Uh, I feel actually pretty good about the offense, Ghost, Ghosty Boy. Uh, I feel as good about this offensive line as I probably have going back to... <sighs> Hell, uh, 2000. 13, 2014, I, I think that both Abraham Lucas and Charles Cross gave you good seasons for rookies at the tackle position. Let's remember, Ghosty Boy, that no team in the modern NFL era has committed to starting two rookie tackles over the course of a season. No team, not 1-0. Seahawks were the first one to do it, and they found success within it. So those guys having that kind of immediate success should only bode well about them taking steps further, further forward this year and being even more improved. Damian Lewis finally slid in and gave you a real 
um, solidified year at the left guard spot. He had a 71 PFF grade. And not only that, what was interesting about Damian Lewis is the worry with moving him from right guard to left guard when you did so was that he was having issues in pass protection as a right guard going up against one techs and zero techs. How was he going to fare now that you moved him over to left guard and he's having to deal with three techs all the time? And that's what he was his strength last year. He was actually better in pass protection than he was as a run blocker. So he's really improved as a player. He's rounded into shape, not a star, but 71 is well above average. And so now you're down to kind of two positions. And you went out and signed Evan Brown, which was probably one of the most under-the-radar under signing for our Hawks this offseason, considering how much money you spent to get him. Um, he's able to play guard or center, so he gives you some insurance on either or. You've got Haynes back, and while he's not great, he's not bad. He's functional if you've got to put him out there at right guard. And then you have Oluwatimi, who to me, Ghostly Boy, is the guy that's going to end up starting day one for you at center. And who uh, he was one of my favorite picks, if not my, my most favorite pick in this whole draft, especially considering value. I really liked Oluwatimi. I'm really high on Oluwatimi. So I, I think they've done a good job of finding not only guys that are going to improve their frontline starters from what they've had in prior years, but also having better depth. And I mean, say nothing of Carlos and Lucas, you have Foresight and Kerhan behind them. So you've got some depth for those guys. I, I feel pretty good about the offensive line right now. And I didn't even bring up ghostly boy uh, Bradford. I mean, Bradford's going to come in and him and Haynes are going to duke it out. And you know, if Haynes ends up beating him out because Bradford's not good enough, at least Haynes gives you a 60 a PFF type season, a, a little bit below average type season from the right guard position. Which if your tackles are a strength, if your left guard's a strength, if your center can be league average, having a, having a right guards at Haynes place playing at that level, it's not the worst thing. And it certainly wouldn't hold your offense back from being prolific. Duran says, if he's capable of covering Cooper Cup in the slot, I'm all for it. Well, that's exactly what I would love to potentially see within this. Is you, you have a lot of tough matchups coming up even this upcoming year from that slot position. And moving Witherspoon into that place could be really helpful against those matchups, especially when you have given teams like the Rams. I love the fact you mentioned Cup and the Rams because you have a team like the Rams and McVay who's not going to feel the need to pepper the ball all over the yard. If he's going to get Cooper Cup open and open 24-7 over the course of the game because you don't have a good enough slot to roll with him, He'll hammer that, Will McVay. He's proven that time and time again. And uh, so getting a guy like Witherspoon in there that can make him uncomfortable, especially challenging offense like that, or the Lions, Duran, you know, who have Almond St. Brown, but when we play him, they're not going to have Jamison Williams on the outside. They're not going to have a lot of threats on the outside. That's going to be the main guy you're worried about going into that game from their offensive standpoint. You know, this is, this is where it could make some sense. Um, moving him in there and, and his ability to have a real a, a real big impact on this defense next season. Not long-term, just the next year. Michael says, uh, I have been this excited for a season since the start of 2014. Can't wait to get a real data on how this draft class compared to last year's. Go Hawks! I can't either. And I am uh, right there with you, Michael. There's been a lot of years where it felt like, even in those years with Russ, uh, just at the end there, just you kind of felt like you knew where the story was going to go. You knew I was going to play out. You knew the twists and turns it was going to take. There were, you weren't going to be surprised. It was going to kind of be what it was. Um, and there were there were some glimmers of hope. There were some times that they could they could um, kind of trick you a little bit into thinking that there were going to be more. But that certainly isn't the case now where you feel. It feels more akin to what it was in those times in 2013, 2012, 2014, where you feel you're building something and you can tangibly feel it.
Jacob says, yeah, the water isn't decent until summer's over. Yeah, it's cold. <laughs> it's brutal there. The, the beaches in the Pacific Northwest is like, you get in that water and you're just like, okay, oh, we'll get used to it. No, no, you get used to it. Just, you just gotta let it just breathe. Just breathe. Don't go too deep until you've acclimated. D-Boy in the house. What's up, man? It's good to see you and hope you're doing well. Thank you, Jose, for reminding me of that. Please do hit that like button and sub on up if you haven't already. I would really appreciate it. Jerron says the Kansas City Chiefs already had a legion of Zoom unofficially when they had Tyreek, Sammy Watkins, and McCole Hardman. Okay. So, I mean, it's already kind of been out there. It's kind of, it's just, it's a little, it's tiny redundant to what it was. We got to, we got to get something. I'm the boogie, the boogie crew. What did you say? The boogie? <laughs> what did you have it as? The, uh, the, the boogie brigade ski. Uh, I'm with that. I like the boogie brigade. Duran says, I'd probably just draft another guard to replace Lewis, but I don't know. He's good. So if he doesn't ask for more than 10 million per year, I'm good. Yeah. So one that I'm torn on and I don't have a, this is what they have to do kind of answer to it. If they signed him to a, uh, an extension, I'd be understanding and okay with it. The one thing we do have to consider with this just a tiny bit, if we look to Lewis in the future is the Seahawks salary cap situation is in a good place. Uh, next year, you're going to be able to start peeling out of any bad contracts you have on the books. And you don't have a lot of bad contracts on the books. You can create some space, but you start talking about paying a guy like uh, Lewis $10 million per year, like you're saying, you know, you are going to eat into it really quickly, especially understanding that in the recent years, this team has le uh, leaned towards um, one, two-year deals rather than going out there and doing the three and the four years. And so, I, you know, it's, that's a tough one there, Duran. I wish we had a little bit more money to spend for into next offseason. When I looked at the books and the money we do have, it's, it is a little eaten up a bit right now as it stands. We've got some money, but considering some of the losses that you might have, it, it, it you know, might, like you say, might make better sense to just go draft that guy and keep the position a little bit cheap, especially as it remains cheap with guys like Lucas and, uh, and uh, Cross there, at least for one more season beyond this next upcoming one. Ski Nation says, if Jackson is playing better than Witherspoon and beats him out as a starter, you guys should be stoked about that. Especially if you think Spoon is the next defensive back juggernaut of the league. That's what I was thinking would be more of a little bit of this feeling on it. I think what where we're getting on the other side of the ski is it does feel like the feeling generally is, and I'm not trying to speak for people, but the general the feeling seems to be instead on this that, well, we know what Mike Jackson is. And he wasn't really all that. He was just okay last year. So if Witherspoon can't beat him out, then that means that Witherspoon is just okay too. And that's not good for a guy that's a top fifth overall pick. But that's, I guess, probably where the difference of the, the viewpoint would be from them to you and me on this situation where we look at it as, no, it's, it's less about Witherspoon not being all that in a bag of chips and more about Mike Jackson taking steps forward as his, in his development. That's how I see it. Might be just being a positive Paul on this one, but... That's how it feels to me when you're hearing so many reports about him doing this well. Um, when you're knowing how well he held up last year. Remember about those folks? Remember those folks out there saying he was just okay last year. Remember again, halfway into the year. 
halfway into the year. What Tariq Woolen's tore the lid off this league. He's getting picks, pick sixes against the Lions. Teams are going, don't throw at that guy. No more of that. We're done. We're done doing that for the year. And where did they go? Where did they, where did they, where did they go? And you have corners that don't travel. So you're the toughest receivers in the league went bam, right over there to Mike Jackson's side. He had no easy roads, no easy weeks, no easy offs. Every week was a tremendous challenge and he held up and now maybe he's taking steps forward. Maybe, maybe I think it's, I don't think it's out of, I don't think it's out of contention. DVD forever. And Witherspoon's stats in college when impressed coverage were good. He pretty much belongs in nickel. I think long-term he can work on the outside, but I do think that there's certainly a pathway to him being better initially out of the nickel spot. Brian says, B spot on with the assessment. Thank you, Brian. Duran, I think the Hawks expecting another team to pay Mike Jackson, but no teams came and outbidded them. They didn't, no. And uh, I think they're, they're happy to bring him back into the flow of it, especially knowing that he's not going to cost that much money and gives them some really good depth for the position minimum, if not maybe our starter. Ski says Jackson better be being better. Oh, sorry, it was uh, or it was a waste. Uh, Jackson being better than Witherspoon doesn't mean Witherspoon sucks or was a waste. Exactly. It means we have incredible depth in coaches uh, and is a great positive towards the organization. 100%. 100%. Jordan says, I want to know if Kobe can play on the outside in the NFL. I do too. My instincts is feels like I just, to me, it just feels like he's probably at his best out there too. I think he can be a functional slot corner in this league and he can do some things in there. And he certainly has a nose for the ball, the peanut Tillman punch that he possesses. That's legit. Uh, he was a pretty good blitzer as well at the slot last year, but I think his, I think his best role, I think Kobe would tell you if you put him on a lie detector test that he's, he's at his best on the outside. And you're right, Jordan. That would make easier to trade Jackson if there's value there with Jackson. I don't know how much there would be with them on that. Jordan says, if MJ balls out early season and a quarterback needy team comes calling with a third-round pick, I would trade him. Oh, I would do with that, yeah. You can get a third-round pick from Mike Jackson. Yeah. I think you gotta, I think you gotta do that. We still have Trey Brown on this team, too. And Jordan, what are we going to do with Trey Brown? He's had pretty good reports from minicamp. Seems like he's back up and fully kind of ready to roll and, and at his full twitchiness. Um, this is all, these are all good problems to have. And, and remember going back to the days, let's say we're trying to recreate the blueprint a little bit to what you did in 2012. You're not going to do it exactly in the Russ way where you've got a third round pick rocking it. You've got Geno Rock in the offense. But you, you've got an Everything in place offensively and defensively, things aren't near, you know, anywhere, I would say, you know, necessarily near where they were um, in that respect of things. But you had a very deep cornerback crew at that time, didn't we? 
But if we think back to it, we Brandon Browner, Richard Sherman, Byron Maxwell, Walter Thurman, right? A lot of guys. And we signed that offseason, remember, Antoine Winfield, my guy that I talk a lot about, Antoine Winfield Sr. I talk a lot about him on this channel a lot because he's one of my favorite corners of all time. I think he's the best tackling cornerback of all time. He was a guy that transitioned to being a slot later in his career, and he came here to Seattle, and he couldn't beat out the dogs we had here in preseason because you had stacked up such a deep crew of corners. You're going to have to call upon these guys. You're going to have to get into that depth. Uh, we were pretty lucky last year with having the outside guys play as much as they did. But uh, having Trey here, um, having him bounce, you know, hopefully bouncing back to where he was in that rookie year, just another thing that just helps this team out that much better to have that depth. It's a good problem to have, having this many guys that are this good. And perhaps one of them does get traded because you have such a, an embarrassment of riches on the outside. But the team has also shown in the past that they'll just sit on that depth knowing that they're probably going to need to call on it. Walter Thurman ended up giving, I think, a free agent deal after the Super Bowl, if I'm not mistaken. Obviously, Byron Maxwell, Brandon Browner, those guys got free agent deals as well. You know, guys are going to move on. After this year, we might see Mike Jackson get a free agent deal. Well, now you got Trey Brown, Devin Witherspoon, Kobe Bryant, and uh, a Tariq. And then you go, okay, well, you know, let, let, them, let them battle it out at that point. It's a good problem to have. And Jordan, I don't trust EA with anything sports related anymore either. And I'm 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 disappointed this year because they had their they did this whole called to the mat kind of thing by like one of their CEOs or whatever. Like this year, you better get it right. This year, you better get the Madden right. And I could just tell with the trailer and that stupid Patrick Mahomes pass that thing's gonna suck. And it annoys me because I would love to be able to just dive back into it football game again but Madden with its mutt mode and all that is uh, Kevin Mullen with a $2 donation thank you Kevin I do appreciate it It says did you see a mid-season trade with uh, did you see do you see a mid-season trade and with whom and for great question Um, I haven't gone deep dive into this as of yet as far as um Really going team by team and looking at these teams and going, okay, let's take a team that we think will be good. What if they're bit, what if they're bad? Who will be that? Who will be a team that would be then willing to move player A because he's going to be leaving after the year anyway, and so they just want to try to get something for him. I haven't gone into the full deep dive of that mode yet, Kevin. But let me give you a couple names here that that we did talk about a little bit a couple weeks ago, but I think still do apply. One would be, of course, DeForest Buckner. I believe that the Colts just found out, I think their starting safety is going to be lost for the season due to a torn ACL, just went down in minicamp. I feel like that's a team right now that is looking at this upcoming year going, we're just kind of turning this thing around a bit. Uh, Our roster is maybe not fully, completely ready here to go. And so DeForest Buckner being the guy that maybe you could move, get him to be moved in a mid-season acquisition kind of thing, maybe, um, maybe not. Maybe that's, I, I think somebody has said maybe they, they, they'd sign him to some kind of thing extension-wise that might make it hard or whatever, but that would be a guy I'd look at. The other guy would be Leonard Williams. Uh, I'm not as much as high on the Giants as some people are uh, coming into this upcoming year. I think a little bit of what they did last year was kind of smoke and mirrors, and I don't think they've taken huge steps forward this offseason. So if the Giants start to have a bit of a wavering season, they just paid that other defensive tackle some real big money. Leonard Williams is going into the final year of his contract there. 
It makes sense for them if they're looking to retain a little bit of value for him to move him in a deal if they aren't as good as I'm proposing they might not be. Um, I tried to go through some of the other teams that you know are just going to be bad this upcoming year or likely to not be very good. And there weren't any names that were jumping out at me. It has to be names we look at, Kevin, that are teams that are being looked at as a contender right now who then fall back away from the pack and, and just disappoint. And uh, on that one, I don't have anything quite yet. I've had a chance to really go in too deep for, but I will start looking more and more and maybe some more of the guys that stand out as, you know, potential, potential trade targets here and guys that could help. Cause I do think to your, to your question's point, a deal does need to be made at some point or another here. They're going to have to go get somebody. I don't think you can just sit on what you got and go, this is Super Bowl contending worthy as it stands right now. But I really think too, it's defensive lineman for me, Kevin, above all else. Zero tech, defensive end, something like that would be the, the position that I think they would lock in on. Maybe maybe middle linebacker. So another guy to, that I was thinking about with this too was um, like, uh, who's the guy? Uh, Devin White, for instance, Kevin. So Devin White right now is wanting to get paid with the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers don't really want to pay Devin White. Can you maybe get the Buccaneers to trade you Devin White mid-year? You know, give us Devin for a half season and agree to let Devin, like you move him for like a third round pick and then you let Devin, you tell Devin, we're not going to franchise you. You know, something like that. That could be a possibility too. Thank you though, Kevin. Appreciate you, man. Nolan Arvance with a $5 donation. Thank you, Nolan. Says it will be interesting to see what they do with Trey Brown and Bryant. Trade bait? Move to safety to replace Diggs and Adams next year? Uh, it's been mentioned a couple times for sure in my chat um, that maybe that you do look at a guy like Kobe Bryant in particular, Nolan, as a guy that you look to move to the safety position um, and that he could fit into that spot pretty easily. I tend to feel like Jarek Reed is going to probably slide in and become your kind of quasi free safety of the future insurance for if you want to move off of Quandre's contract next year. So I, I think that they're more looking for that to be that you have Julian love on a two-year deal at the strong safety position. So I don't think that there's a chance they'd look to move Kobe into that spot. I don't think Kobe's enough of a tackler to be, if you're moving Kobe, I, you're probably moving him to free. I, I can't see him quite working out well as a strong. Um, so I don't see the move to the safety trade bait. Yeah. Trade bait's certainly a possibility here. You're sitting four deep. Does a cornerback needy team call you up and say, we really need somebody? Just send one of your guys over, you know, Range Rover, Range Rover, Red Rover, Red Rover. Send Trey Brown over. You could. And the team has in the past around training camp moved a cornerback before when they've had a stack of corners. So this is the other thing we always look for. Is there a history of this? Yeah, you did it with Witherspoon a couple of years ago. Achilleo Witherspoon moved him to the Steelers and ended up getting you a future fifth round pick. So you certainly have done this in the past. You have the depth to do it. There certainly could be a team come calling for a, a need in cornerback, especially if one of these teams in training camp, you know, Nolan have an injury go down to win their situation at corner. That's going to get you potentially at the team on the horn going, hey, you know, what, what do you give us for Mike Jackson? What do you give us for Trey Brown? And what do you expect to get back in return? Well, give us this and this. You know? So I think it's a possibility. But the good news is we don't have to do it. You know, if we make those, if we make that move, it's going to come on the back of, uh, a team having to pay the the full cost to get it at that point. Because I think the team's just as happy to sit on those guys because Mike Jackson moves on after this year. You have Tariq and Devin Witherspoon, but then you still have the cheap contracts of Trey Brown and Kobe Bryant, and you feel like your cornerback room is sitting pretty. So I, I feel like the team's okay either way on that, kind of however they sit. 
Thank you for the donation, Nolan. Appreciate you, brother. Thanks for being a uh, member of the channel as well. Um, oh, why do I says, did you see Spoon and Minicamp with a leaping INT over the middle? Uh, Spoon will be a stud. Indeed, I showed it up at the top, but let, let's, let's, you can't show it too many times. You can't show, you can't show a play like this too many times, can you? I mean, it's only, it's only a good thing, right? You just got to keep, uh, mini, Duran, you're right. It's, it, it is mini camp. It's still nice. That's a nice little toe tap action going on there with Spoon. Nice little toe tap. And I can't confirm or deny if he was in the slot on this play. Kind of looks like he's in the slot. He's like middle of the field area. I'll be, I'll be interesting to find out where, where he was lined up on that given play. A church uh, says, can Spoon play the slot? Yep. Church of Ca Sacred Cacti, he can play the slot. He had quite a number of snaps last year. Didn't start there for the Illini. Illini, Illini, So he didn't start there last year, but uh, he certainly had a lot of a lot of snaps there out of the slot. Four wide receiver sets and dime. I think three wide receiver sets. I mean, either or. So nickel or dime, he would have him out there as your slot, theoretically. Jacob says, uh, Legion of Boom, two, Electric Boogaloo. Now there's one I could go for as an offset. That one would work. Uh, Brian Myerson says, I say, we, I say we call the secondary the no-fly zone. Well, that's what the Broncos secondary tried to call themselves a couple years ago, though. So then, the, then you're going to get a bunch of the Denver fans going, you're just copying us. Oh, it's a good name. Just copying us. Your defense wasn't good enough to have a nickname. Why do I says, of course, minicamp doesn't mean much. My comment is to counter those thinking Spoon played bad in camps somehow. He did not. He was fine and will be fine. Agreed. Agreed. Why do I? I think it's worth a little something. It's not something that we should carry a lot of weight with, but I think there's a little bit of something to take away with it. They're, you know, good or, or bad. Luckily, we've just had a lot of good here with this. You know, we've got guys fighting through injury. We've got guys that, you know, aren't performing very well or just kind of disappearing. You know, I've heard that at times in minicamp. Oh, this guy just sort of, he was here, but he didn't do a whole lot. Appreciate you, Donnie. DVD Forever says, let's not overlook the tenacity of Spoon. It's sort of like watching Earl Thomas get a shot at playing corner. Very, very true. And yeah, he is a tenacious sucker. I'll tell you, he'll be, I think, as good a tackler as you'll find from the corner roll. Wherever corner he plays, slot, outside, I think he'll be one of the better tackling guys in the league. And a guy that can hit, too. A clean hitter. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, I like that comparison. Prince T.Y., how about we call the young Seahawks secondary baby boom? <laughs> I don't know, Prince. <laughs> baby boom's got a lot of that negative connotation to it now, you know? It's like Karen's, you know? You don't, you don't want that established, I don't know. I'm still, with, but I'm still with the Boogie Brigade. The Olympians, I like that. That's good. Uh, Mega says, I don't see the point of uh, Spoon being at a slot. To me, that is a waste. Maybe you can, can, maybe you all can convince me though. Well, I'm trying. I'm trying, but like I said, sometimes I don't, I can't quite get across, I think, exactly what I mean on it. But um, I think it boils down to Megan for me. The slot's basically a starter. The slot is really no different than the outside guy in being that it's a guy that's on the field just about exactly the same amount of snaps. It's a guy that's going to be impacting the game in the same kind of way. 
um, in the manner of if he if he can dominate his matchup, you, it will help you to shut down the uh, help you to shut down the offense. If the guy on the outside can dominate the matchup, it helps you to stop the offense. The outside guy stopping his matchup doesn't make him any more useful or better for that defense than the slot guy stopping his guy, especially with those offenses like we're talking about, Megan, that are the Rams or they are the Lions that or are the Vikings that feature their slot that lean on their slot as that number one wide receiver. <laughs> Deron Evers, they're godly athletic. So I call them the Olympians. A DTU, don't test us. I like that. DTU. Uh, I'm feeling that a little bit. So I, yeah, the, the, I can't see the waste comment, Megan. If he's, he's not playing their long-term number one. So again, let's not think of him as being on the slot forever. It's the one year that you have Michael Jackson ascending. Michael Jackson goes and is a free agent. Devon fits into year two, fine and ready to go. Let's also remember Megan, he's a rookie. So he's not, it's his first year. I know Tariq Woolen balled out last year, but rookies don't tend to ball out. Go, go look at Megan, the PFF scores for Derek Stingley last year. Top 12 first round pick cornerback. He had absolutely putrid, putrid PFF grades last year. So the guy, he still has a good, a good horizon line for him. Derek Stingley is going to be a good player in the long term. The point being is that you don't always get the best performance out of the guy in year one. But putting him into a position to succeed, Megan, putting him in the slot, a place where he's going to play a lot more man coverage than the outside, where we'll be playing a lot more zone, puts him maybe in a better position to succeed in that first year. And bottom line, does it make the defense better? For the, for the folks that are, this is a waste comment, like you're, you're putting there, Megan, that it's a waste if we took him at fifth and all, all of this out. If he comes in next year and plays one year in the slot and makes this defense better than what it would be if you just put him on the slot and set Michael Jackson on the bench and then put Kobe Bryant out at the slot, is that, is that better or worse? Is, it, is that really a bad thing at that point? Isn't it about maximizing out next year's team to its fullest? Getting the best version of that team out on the football field that you can? Beyond the development of, beyond what, you know, Witherspoon and how he'll be at his, what gets you the best team? Why do I, observations, Cody, Kobe Parkinson is jacked. Pete and the coaches were saying how they can't wait till they have pads on and see how better he is at blocking. Shot at the number one new tight end. Oh, you better believe it. You better believe it. Why do I? Uh, I'm working on right now my uh, a tight end video that's going to be an upload for the channel. I'm just kind of putting together some, uh, some of the last bits of points on it. But uh, I'm going to be talking a little bit about Colby within that. And what was interesting last year about Colby Parkinson is that by the end of the season, he was getting more snaps in games than Noah Fant. And I think that that's telling, especially because he was performing also well in those games. But if you do look at his blocking scores last year, why do I? Really, he took steps forward at that time. I don't know about taking even more steps forward this year. Maybe that's possible. But even last year, he was taking steps forward as a blocker doing much better than he had done previously and certainly much better than what he showed at Stanford where that was a big worry you had with him coming out. I mean, he was essentially looked at when he was coming out, in my mind, as more of a move tight end. He's turned himself into an inline guy, but he's going to have a shot at that number one tight end role. You better believe it. 100, 100%. <laughs> Jeremy Bohm, to me, if Witherspoon plays slot and the secondary is the best in the league, the pick is not a waste. Ding, 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 ding. That's what I'm talking about, Jeremy. That's my bottom line on this. And then year two, you move him to the outside and your defense continues to play great, right? And, there, and nothing lost. Nothing lost. Everything gained on that. No waste. 
No, no bunch of fat left on the floor that you cleaved off the meat. It's nothing but pure filet at that point still. It's just a creative way in how you're employing them, how you're using them. You're still using them at the same rate. You're still getting almost the same exact number of snaps. You're just being creative and putting them in the best position to succeed in that first year and how you do it. Isaiah McGee says, pretty sure it took Devontae Adams until his fifth year to break 1,000 yards. So yeah, make, uh, yeah, make D will uh, make D will break out this season. He's got the skills to do, do so, just needs to stay healthy. Eskridge does have the skills. And health is really the biggest thing, isn't it, Geese? At the front of this, he's just got to stay on the field. He's just got to be available. Just got to find a way to get right. <laughs> Ski says the stream is playing on my laptop and phone at the same time. Technology is cool. Technology is cool. I love it, man. Thank you. Give me that viewer, viewer, viewer bump. Megan says, maybe you can put my mind at ease with this B, but why pick Spoon for one position when you have no damn intention of playing him in that position? That's the part I was, I was thinking you were getting caught up in this. It's the viewpoint, Megan, of next year and long term. What you're intending to do with him next year is not necessarily what you're intending to do with Spoon long term. And what you intend to do with him long, short term is what's both going to benefit Spoon initially and benefit the team most. And then long term, you move him into the outside. So I think that the intention is to have him on the outside eventually, but, but this is also not happening in a vacuum. Spoon not playing on the outside is not just occurring because he's like sucking and not playing well and he's not worthy of playing on the outside. He's not necessarily at that point playing on the outside this upcoming years because you're trying to put your best possible team out on the football field. Like I related making the basketball. You're getting your best five guys on the court, regardless of position. Oh, we got two power forwards out on the court. Well, one of them's going to play center. You get your best five, your best starting five. You get your best starting 11 guys on the football field. How can you do that for this upcoming year? That's the most important part. Not that the, the fifth pick is validated and that we feel warm and fuzzy in that fourth pick because he's doing exactly what we thought in his mind he was going to do when he was drafted. Are we getting a player that's helping us win football games? Are we getting a player who is impacting plays on the football field on a consistent basis? The answer is yes to that. Then the pick is validated. This caught up stuff with this pick to this play to this position to that position, I don't get. And I still have yet to see a person that's really wringing their hands over Witherspoon moving to the inside who has yet to address what I've raised a couple of times. You're talking about 20% of the snaps as far as the less difference. 20%. That's what this is all boils down to at the end of the day. For all these people worried and uh, moving inside, 20% less snaps. That's what we're talking here. 20%. Is it, is it really that much of a failure at that point off the back of 20% snaps for it happening in one given year of his pro career when in the future he's then going to be moved to the outside? I can't see it. I, it's not clicking to me how that's, that's drawing so much here. And, I, and again, I'd, I'd love to see someone reference a little bit of why that 20% is such a big difference in your mind for this upcoming season. One year, not his whole career, not what he's going to do in perpetuity, just this one season. 20% last snaps that he plays in the slot than the outside. Why is that such a monstrous difference in a deal there? Why is that so huge? You know? Why Ryan Ball says that'd be a very good problem to have. Your number five overall pick, top 10 pick by most talking heads, not the starter day one. If we can stop the run this year, the Hawks could win 15 games this year. I agree. I've looked at this, Ryan, as nothing but a good thing. And uh, if Mike Jackson is, is playing well, Mike Jackson can give you a, 
68, 69 PFF grade this year and his level of performance, that certainly is a team that then raises its potential overall with it. DD, uh, DVD says, keep in mind that Diggs will be there to help on either side and over the top so that the young guy can feel more confident in that fact. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you think that would help. Why do I says, those worried about Spoon, if they decide him in the slot is the five, the best five in coverage, I can make that argument. Does that mean he is still won't be outside in base? Chris, Chris Harris was an all pro doing that. R-E-A-L-X. I like that. Yeah. R-E-A-L-X. I'm telling you this, it'll all be okay on this, in this respect of things when it's all said and done. Brian says the use of him at slot in no contact minicamp means very little for his future. It's true. It's true. We're we're just look, we're pushing this forward a little bit and the potential of where this could be going. Megan says, I'm sorry, B, I'm not feeling the best, so maybe I missed what you meant. We'll watch you again uh, when I'm more awake, but thanks for the explanation. My pleasure, Megan. And you're not alone in worrying about this a little bit. There are there are some numbers on here you're seeing in the chat too that are a little bit concerned with this. DVD says, Olu will boost both sides of the guard position. Uh, he'll be a good player. Yep. He is. I, I, I love him, DVD. I'm a big Olu guy. Big Olu guy. He's going to ball out for sure, Megan. Uh, why do I predict seeing JSN playing Z at times instead of Lockett in camp to see how he is in motion? I see him causing issues for the D with that free release a flanker, a flanker can get. Uh, certainly. Uh, and I'd offer too that if you know, you're going to put him in that position, you do want the free releases with Jackson as much as you can get. Uh, more so than Tyler because Tyler's pretty good off the line of scrimmage, even being an undersized guy with his footwork. Um, and just he's just such a technician about it. But I could see that. I think they're going to try him out in all the different places and see what he can do. I'd love to see it some in the preseason too with him on the outside, see if he could do it. Ghosty boy, I probably should have specified interior offensive line because I'm confident in Lucas and Cross, but you made some good points. I'm definitely a lot more confident in the O-line as a whole now. And I certainly would tell you, Ghosty boy, if, uh, if I was worried about it. And there's been years that I've been very worried about this offensive line. But when you lock down the tackles, those are two, you could make in the argument, the two most important points of the offensive line. If centers, centers may be the most, third most important, but you could make almost as much of an argument that guard, especially with your Aaron Donalds and Chris Joneses and Fletcher Cox in the league, Jonathan Allen's and all of those type of guys down the line is, is almost maybe your third most important. And now with Damian Lewis locked in there, you've got kind of the, the, the three most important parts of an offensive line hemmed up. You know, you can kind of get by of center and right guard or a little bit of your, your lesser aspects to things. But uh, yeah, it's definitely a part that is worthy of wondering about it because you're not solidified at center and you're not solidified at right guard necessarily. You know what you can get from Haynes, but you're not, you're not on stable ground necessarily totally there yet. So some of the concerns valid, but I do feel that they're going to be at their best this year. This is going to be the best offensive line as a whole ghostly boy that we've seen here in seven, eight years on the whole. I would, I would bet. ZZ, I believe uh, I'm with you on that. I think both Nuoso and Taylor will have double digit, double digit sacks this year. I agree. Drawn Ever says, I don't see us keeping Taylor after the season. He is average edge at best. He's certainly a guy that wouldn't shock me if they end up making him a trade target too, Duran. You do have club control of him after this year, so he's not a street free agent. So he's still got one more year of semi-cheap club control on the guy that was a second-round pick. So he might still last beyond this year, but could be a guy they'd look to move. 
it's not it's not out of uh it's not out of the realm of reason to think it's a possibility Uh, Kevin Mullen, thank you for the $2 donation. Says, what would be the compensation for Buckner and Leonard Williams? I think, Kevin Mullen, if you went with Buckner before the start of the season, you're probably going to have to give up a second and a third round pick to make that happen. If you're going to do it around the trade deadline, it's probably just going to cost you a second round pick um, if it's in into the season. Leonard Williams is a bit of a lesser player than Buckner, so you're probably going to be, you're not getting him in the training camp because the Giants feel like they can compete this year. They're going to try to go for it. So you're going to have Leonard Williams around the trade deadline. I think the compensation at that time would probably be a third round pick. Maybe a fourth, maybe, but probably a third round pick at that time to get him um, at the trade deadline. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate the donation though. I'd love to grab either of those two guys. In, in both of those two guys, Kevin would make me feel so much better about the defensive line uh, if they were here instead. Nolan Arvance, thank you for the $5 donation. Appreciate the double dono, Nolan. Says, maybe Rabes could do a Dave Niehaus homage call. The defense is death to flying things. Wish I could do a Niehaus, man. I don't know if Rabel's got a Niehaus in him. So hard. Niehaus is, was, is just a tough one to... I can usually even get like a slight echo of a voice, but with Niehaus, he was so hard to kind of nail with that. But death to flying things. I like that. Death of flying things is pretty is pretty catchy too, and that'd be a nice, that's the kind of nod I'd like. Back to a little baseball nod, back to that legend. I like it, Nolan. It's that of the Boogie Brigade, man. We got to go with one of these two. <laughs> we got to go with one of these two. Jeremy Bohm, you got some faith that Taylor's gonna play better against the run? I hope you're right. I'm a little less confident in that. I'm with you on the 11 and a half sacks. I'm right there with you on that. I don't know if the run defense is getting better, though. Why do Ice is an advantage of having Spoon at Nickel is his ability to close and hit. Nickel is closer to the box. He can penetrate the line and get tackle for losses as well as just pass breakups. Agreed. It's part of that thing where I feel like as he's developing long-term, he develops into an outside, but initially he feels a little more free and a little better situated and comfortable in his first year out of that slot role because it leans into his strengths, as you say. Well said. Well said on that. Why do I says, I will one-up your predictions. Taylor with 12 to 14 sacks in 2023. Love the confidence in here. Let's go. Mr. Dog, are the, are the Hawks going to make any more trades before the season starts? Hard to predict the timeline on this one, Mr. Dog. I am predicting that there's going to be a trade that happens between now and the trade deadline. Where that lines up to is very hard for me to predict. The Hawks have a recent track record of both making trades in training camp and making trades at the trade deadline. So they don't have one way or another that they've tended to lean to in the past. Some of this is going to be, do they come into training camp, put on the pads and come to find that they have some real, real, real concerns on the defensive line, that they better go out and make a real aggressive trade really quickly, or this could be, you know, really bad for the defense. They could, it's very much a possibility. But I think whether it's then or whether it's before the trade deadline, it's going to happen. Um, so yeah, a trade does occur, Mr. Dog. It could occur before the season, but it's no guarantee that that's, that's the timeline here. Some of it's also when guys are made available a little bit. And Schneider's a guy that is also a guy about who will be like, well, we're not looking right now, but if this guy becomes available, now suddenly we're, we're looking. 
Uh, so some of it depends on when guys are going to be available and if it's a guy that fits to what they need. But I still think something's going to happen at some point here. Why do I, in the end, Spoon is too good to just have a nickel? Just put him in the best receive, put him on the best receiver and have him travel. Pete says he sees him doing it. Uh, this camp will be interesting. Well, he's certainly a guy that could do some of that, I think, as far as the travel stuff goes, being that, you know, he is a guy that fits well into man. And if you're going to have a guy travel, you're going to play a lot of man at that point. Um, if you're doing that, it's hard to stay into zone defense concepts at times. It gets a little bit complicated if you're having a guy travel and stay in zone. Um, we'll see. We'll see how they use him on that. That will be interesting to see if they're willing to do that because they never have in the past. Deadly says, I love Hall because he's also a damn good run defender. Boy, is he ever. I'm going to get a clip, I think, for the next show showing off uh, one of the reps he has at the Senior Bowl where he just throws this guy. Uh, it's just very impressive. He's got some grown man strength to his game. Deron says, I don't think they've drafted Spoon if they knew Kobe was going to be good on the outside. Agreed, Deron. I agree with you there. I think that you could say that's a true statement. And then you could also say that Kobe Bryant's best future in the NFL is on the outside. That, that'd be a little bit of what I might say to that. Is that's true and the other thing is true too. Why do I, other advantage I see for Seattle coaching staff, Seattle has many great position coaches, Carl Scott, Sanjay Lal, uh, BT Jordan, Andy Dickerson, all highly respected. I see them making a difference. I do too. Especially that uh, pass rush coach specialist we brought in. It'd be very fun to see how his impact's going to be and what he's able to bring to the table, helping out some of these young pass rushers that we have. Brian says trade Walker. Oh, DVD. Trey, we will, we will trade Ken Walker for Cooper Cup. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know on that one. I think the Rams are going to, the Rams might be willing to do it. They're, they're offload. They are in rebuild mode. Save the Geese says, Willie Gay is the free agent next year. I've liked him in the draft process, and he's been pretty good for the Chiefs. Maybe they trade him. He's been a very good player for them. I'd rather Bolton if we can pull, pull a Bolton from him. If we can pull that Bolt out, I'd take Bolton. But Gay's a good linebacker too. He is. Those, those two guys kept off the field the uh, kid they drafted last year, so pretty impressive in that respect. <laughs> Uh, Deadly, it wasn't Locke that threw the pass. If you notice, it's actually a lefty throwing the spoon pick. It's that Holton, Colton, Erlers, Erlers, Colton, Rolton, whatever that undrafted rookie quarterback's name who's not going to be here this year. Donnie says, also happy, happy United States Army birthday. Oh, happy Army birthday. BP says, off the subject, now that the NBA Finals are over, talks will begin possible expansion in 2024. Bring them back, those damn Sonics. Bring them back. Get them back here. It's good to hear. Taking some steps. We're getting closer and closer, BP. I can feel it. I can feel it. Kevin Mullen, thank you for the $5 donation. Thanks for all the donos, Kevin. He says, uh, if, we win the play if we win in the playoffs, uh, say to the Super Bowl, spoon playing... NB, he's been playing NB in left cornerback. And make a difference a la Jerry Lane in 014. MJ is Maxwell this year, plus his physicality. <laughs> I know the font kind of restricted you, I think, a little on that one. MB, Spoon playing MB 
and left cornerback. I think you meant slot corner is what you meant. I think it make a difference. All I do. Yeah, I could see that for sure. I, I think Kevin Spoon's got an ability to have some real impact. I think he has an ability, if you're talking about getting immediate impact out of Spoon, not to say Spoon can't play immediately good on the outside. He can play immediately good. But I think to get the most immediate impact out of Spoon, it might be to get him in the slot initially. Just because it leans to his strengths as he's still kind of learning how to be a pro, as he's still learning how to play at the NFL speed. Um, but I like your relation to it. And yeah, I think I think MJ's Byron Maxwell or maybe kind of like your Byron Browner a little bit coming into this year, you know, and, and making it that relation to Jeremy Lane as you are, you know, and it's not anything to do with Spoon. It's just much as about the, the competition's king and these guys have been fighting it out and MJ's had the off season of his life. And he's been working hard, it sounds like, and taking steps forward. <laughs> I think I captured what you were saying on that there, Kevin. Sorry if I'm, I missed kind of butchered that a bit. Thank you for the donation, though. Appreciate you. Uh, Nolan Arvance, thank you for the $10 donation. Appreciate all the donos coming through from you guys today. Very, very, very kind of you, Nolan. Thank you so much. He says, I heard Bob Condota on a pod saying he thinks defensive tackle is likely added at the cutdown day. Says they don't ask a lot of their def- says they don't ask a lot of their defensive tackles, and it would be one of the easiest to plug and play after camp. <clears throat> this has certainly been the place that's been a bit of a disconnect for me, and I think a lot of the Seahawks fans versus what the team views the situation as. Um, and me and the other fans may be very much wrong on this, Nolan, and our and our outlook of it. Um, in that the team is just so kind of laissez-faire, so sort of non-plussed by the fact that the situation is as it is on this defensive line, that it's it has many of us going, well, well, you've got to do something, surely. But they seem to feel like there's not as much needed there. Some of this could be just us fans having a little bit of the leftover feeling of the four three days where everything on the defenses were built out of the defensive line. And if you had defensive tackles that weren't really good, you couldn't make the defense run. It wouldn't work. Uh, part of it also is, of course, though, you know, if if defensive linemen don't matter, then you know, Nolan. I and the, you're not saying this, I know Nolan, but if if defensive linemen don't matter, then where did the run failures come from last year? Did they were they just all on the linebackers then? Because if they didn't matter, and it seemed like to my casual eye last year, a lot of the failures of your inability to stop the run, even against bad opponents at times, came from a, a lackluster defensive line, an untalented defensive line. So if, if that's the case, then how does that get disproven now as you become a little bit slightly weaker on that line than where you were the year prior? That's the part that doesn't quite fully add up to me, Nolan, but we've got to acknowledge that the team really sees it in a quantifiable different way than we do in this. And that maybe they're right, especially in lieu of this being changed to a new scheme, which asks your defensive linemen up front to do different things than what you've asked your defensive linemen to do in the past. It does add up to me, Nolan, a little bit, but it's just so odd to me in the other respective things because last year the issues were there. They showed up. They were, you could feel them tangibly as to what was causing those issues in that run game and stopping the run. And you just didn't have anybody that could, for instance, take up two blockers. Nobody was commanding any double teams. You know, now you get those second level blocks, get down to the linebackers. But this is where the team stands on it. And uh, I'll trust their faith in it. You've got to, sorry, hold on one second. Yeah.
bit of allergies kicking in today. Sorry about that. But I guess the other thing we come to on this, Nolan, is we have a, a defensive coordinator in Clint Hurd right now who is a former defensive line coach. He is a former defensive line man. So they're taking this tact, albeit maybe against a little bit of the fan thought process on this, but this comes back to, again, where maybe we should have faith in their approach to it because you would think if there was an issue, if there are these glaring holes in the defensive line, that Clint Hurt would be jumping up and down and being like, how do you expect me to make this work? I know defensive linemen. You've not given me any defensive linemen. How do I make this go? You know, but he's not saying that. Maybe he is in the background, but he's not saying it publicly. So uh, that's, a, that's enough for me right now to go, okay, let's see, let's see how this plays out. And if it does fail, though, I will say, Nolan, you know, if it does come down the pike this year that they don't stop the run and the defensive line does look bad again, you know, then they've got to start to put that out the pasture, this whole defensive lineman don't matter stuff. That's, that's been then just disproven at that point. You stacked up the secondary, you put untolds amount of money into your safety position. Um, you know, you've, you've done what you can back there. Hard to blame any places back there for this upcoming year. You do have to come back at that point to the defensive tackle position. But we'll see. It's the biggest key for me, Nolan, in looking at this defense right now. I do see how they will be able to potentially add a guy with cut down, though, too. Uh, what's hard about that, Nolan, is that the cut down's not going to come in phases anymore. There's not going to be cut down day one, two, and then your final cut down to get down to your final roster. It all is going to come down on one day. All the cuts come out at once. And so it's just going to lead to almost kind of pure chaos on those cut down days. But the team's got the confidence they get it done with this. So hopefully they're right. Sam the Great says, sometimes number one receivers play the slot. Exactly. Just a new, new type of NFL. It's ever evolving, ever developing, ever changing. And what was how things used to be 20 years ago is not necessarily down the line how things are today. Deadly says the, the slot can be the hardest position to play too. You don't have the sideline to help you. You don't. You don't. It is an extremely, it's, it's tough, way tougher than outside corner. But it's also one that having a guy that's twitchy, really good in man coverage, excellent instincts, can tackle like hell. It's nice to have guys like that in that slot position. Uh, Megan says, if you want a player for the slot, draft one. Don't expect a player who is not a slot player to play in that position. Yeah, I, I think that the long term, the, the thought process here, Megan, is if he plays five years on this rookie contract, he's going to play four of those years on the outside. He plays one of those years in the slot. That doesn't make him a slot corner. That means one year you played the guy in the slot. And you didn't do it because he was a failure as a player or bad as a player. You did it because of the strength you had of the outside cornerback position. BP 1989, not saying I disagree with Spoon at slot, but where does that leave Trey Brown and Kobe Bryant? Um, I think as uh, Deron ever said above on this a little bit, BP, if you're not drafting Witherspoon, in my opinion, if you really felt like you had high hopes for either of the two of Trey Brown and Kobe Bryant, it doesn't mean that they don't have any value to add on the football field. It just means that you don't necessarily feel like those guys are going to be difference makers on the outside and the way that you see Witherspoon being able to be. And let's acknowledge, in the case of both Trey Brown and Kobe Bryant, these are both fourth-round picks. Not first, not second, not third, fourth-round picks. And, and while both have some good talent to them, and I don't want to make it sound like neither doesn't have anything to offer on the football field, they do. But I don't think that you're also driven as an organization right now to feel like you have to have a plan for them or like they have to be the person that you have allotted to this and that spot. 
This is a little bit of what you're going to get when you make competition king. It's less about putting guys into starting roles, right? In fact, it's the opposite of that. It's having every guy earn their starting position. Not, not based on draft status, not based on where you picked them. Every guy just earns their position. And then you let the cards fall where they may. And sometimes that means you're going to let, be left with some very talented players sitting on the bench. But ultimately, if competition rules the day, you will be getting your best football, field, football team on the football field. And that's the most important part. Uh, Sam the Great, I agree. Spoon will probably play everywhere in this secondary. Megan says, uh, how is it benefiting him by playing him out of position? That's what I'm failing to understand. Uh, it's, it's helping him to play out of position in the first year because he's learning how to play in the pros, learning the NFL speed, learning the game, going through the bumps and bruises and ups and downs of being a rookie that comes with pretty much every rookie that plays out there, absent Megan, a guy like Tariq Woolen. It helps him in the respect of right now he's at his best in man coverage situations. He's referenced that zone is where he has to get better. When you talk about outside corners and slot corners, Megan, they will oftentimes on a given play, play two different coverages. The guys on the outside will play zone coverage. The slot will play man coverage. Sometimes you have guys playing quarters and, and different zone coverage as well within that. But if we just go by in nature, the majority of the time, the slot's going to be playing in a man coverage type situation. So right now, you move a guy like Devon Witherspoon who's learning the game, figuring out the NFL speed, and you put him into the inside where now he's able to just operate off those pure instincts, run free and fast, not be out there thinking because he's going to be doing a lot of thinking when you have him in zone. That's what you have to do in zone is do a lot more thinking than you are just reacting and playing fast at times. So you're leaning him towards what he does well. And you're, as I said before, you're putting your best, you're feeling your best team out here. There's two different things that we're trying to accomplish, I think, Megan, on our two different viewpoints on this. You're trying to accomplish uh, how you think this is going to benefit him in the long term. I'm accomplishing how this benefits the team this year. And then if he benefits from that in the long term, great. I don't think it will hold him back. I don't think him playing as a starter in the slot now teaches him some kind of bad habits that are going to carry over to him playing on the outside in future years. But that's the part that's at the forefront of my mind right now. Get this best team out there. Back, back to the basketball reference here, Megan. You know? How do I get my, I have 11 guys, 12 guys on my, on my bench. I got five guys I can put on the court. How do I get my best five guys on the court? Because this isn't about individual players. That's not, this is a team sport, right? This isn't about the development of an individual player long-term down the road. This is about what's best to bring this about for the individual team. How do we make this team elite? How do we compete? How do we got to go push for Super Bowls? And sometimes those two things don't always coincide. Sometimes you got to make a choice to one and not the other. And I don't think that it harms him at all by playing in the slot. I don't think it hurts him. And Megan, it's not playing him out of position. It's, it's not playing him out of position at all. And the BFF stats back this up. He played a lot of slot last year, Megan. There's a lot of times he was aligned in the slot. He wasn't starting there in the slot. He, he was an outside guy, but there's times he had a lot of snaps in on that slot. It plays to his strengths in there. His twitchiness, his instincts, his ability in man coverage, it all aligns very well for him in the slot. WTC says, how about Trey Brown? I know there'll be worries about Trey Brown and Kobe Bryant, but that's, it, it's kind of not our concern. <laughs> it really isn't. 
It's those guys become depth or they become trade, you know, trade assets. One of the two. And neither of those things are the worst things to have. It's good that you got your starters in place. Let's remember, folks, two Thursday night games, an extra NFL game now added to the season. You need to have a deep roster in addition to having a strong roster at the front. You need to have the great starters and then you need to have the depth because you're likely to have to call upon that depth because of those extra games. I mean, even the lack of the extra buy. One, one more game you got to play in the playoffs now if you don't get the, the number one seed in the buy. More, more calling upon that depth than ever before in recent NFL history. And it's got to be leaned into more of that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's not playing about a position to play the slot. It, it fits to, slot is harder to play, but it fits to his skill set to go in there. He would take to it like a duck to water. As he did in college football last year in those times when he was lined out there. BP says, if you remember, uh, Richard Sherman didn't start his first year. I believe Walter Thurman was the starter. That's correct. I think Sherman came in at the last four games or something and started. Save the geese says D Taylor would be a great trade asset at the deadline. He would, geese. You got that guy at a five, six sacks at the trade deadline, and you're looking to move him and package him with a pick and maybe get a real impactful defensive lineman like a Buckner, for instance. Hey, Colts, you play indoors. You're in uh you're in a dome stadium. You want a guy that's gonna be at his best running off that running off that turf indoors who's super uber quick. We'll flip you Daryl Taylor in a third round pick. Why don't you throw us Buckner back? You know, because remember, as I was telling you on the top on that geese, you do give them for another year beyond this season. So you have them this season and then you have another year of club control and them on a restricted deal beyond this year. So you offer to whatever team that you would move Taylor in a trade deadline deal, you would be offering a year and a half of club control, which would then only increase his asset as a player or the returns that you could hope to get for him uh, if you did move him. Ski Nation says, I can't begin to answer that accurately based on what Pete's saying. I would go with Jackson. He has, oh, sorry. I think, I think you responded to Megan there. Uh, Ski Nation, Spoon doesn't need to be rushed on the field because he was picked at number five. Players like Aaron Rodgers and Mahomes have sat for a year and look at the results. Agreed. Agreed. Save the Geese says, Pete was on the Man to Man podcast and it sounded like he wanted to start Gino over Russ in 2021 after Russ's injury. Almost like it would have been the right move to let Russ sit out that season. Yeah, I, you could feel at the time the pressure that was being put into place on Carroll. And, um, you know, as a coach there, it's you've got a guy in Russ that you have so much trust built into at that time and so much goodwill and so much time and so many wars that you fought together in 
that, you know, and Russ has come to you so many times before Save the Geese and probably been beat up pretty good before and still said, you know, I can get through it. And then he got you through it and carried the day. And so there was probably a little bit of that with Pete who thought, you know, well, I don't, my instinct on this is to tell him no, but, you know, Russ is telling me this. My thing at the time was a little bit with Pete on this was that you did have to overrule him and override him because Russ was so much reduced as a player coming back off that finger injury. It was obvious it wasn't fully healed. It was obvious he wasn't close to who he was as a player. And it was showing up, I'm sure, on practice field too as well. And, and, and still to trot him out there in those games like that, it really wasn't setting him up to be successful at that point, um, given where he was with his hand. But maybe Russ was also gave him the ultimatum where he's like, if you don't let me go out there and, and, and try to reclaim this year and everything else, then I'll go scorched earth after this season. You know, who knows what maybe background discussions happened at that time. Uh, Greg Kemp says, where was the number one ranked slot cornerback picked in this draft? So I guess the number one ranked slot cornerback in this draft probably would have been Brian Branch. I think he was selected in the third round by the Lions. I'm double checking. Oh, no. Uh, So he was picked in the second round, uh, 45th overall uh, by... by the Detroit Lions. TJ Kersman, Brandon, with the early season uncertainty surrounding nose tackle, how do you feel about bringing in a proven veteran, Akeem Hicks, on a one-year deal if we could make it work within our cap? Depth. Uh, Akeem is definitely really, 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 really old, CJ. Uh, But with that said, he has a lot of familiarity with the Vic Fangio scheme and how to play within it. And he was pretty good in that game that we played against Tampa Bay on the road last year. Both him and Vita Vea were big problems on that defensive line. Kind of those two guys and, and Devin White were the three that were really giving us issues in that game. He won't cost any money. There's nothing to be lost by bringing him in, CJ. It's going to be very cheap at that point. He fits to the scheme. He's a real big body that you add inside. I'm, I'm with it. He could easily then become your kind of Al Woods player, like what Al's been for us in recent years. Cappy McCappy trade for Stefan Diggs. He's unhappy in Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, we don't have the money to pay Diggs and... We're kind of set. We're kind of set right now, Cappy. I don't, they're not going to move Jackson Smith, you know. Deadly says, uh, but what if he's a gem at slot and outside corner? Exactly. Jacob Oswald, did I miss? I was making Mediterranean tacos. Those sound delicious. Go for a Mediterranean taco right now. Nolan Arvance, thank you for a, another $5 donation, man. Thank you for all the donation, like your fifth dono. Appreciate you on that, brother. And I do hope you're having a great night. It's good to see you in the chat tonight too, man. Says, I did say the defensive backs better be good. They're going to have to cover 
they're going to have to cover to 10 Mississippi with the D-line we currently have. Yeah, those guys better be sticky and sticky for a very long period of time because uh, you're right. They're going to have to help out the defensive line and the pass rush versus the defensive line helping out the corners. It's not going to work in the inverse, I don't think. So, uh, well, well said, Nolan. They better be good. They were with the money you spend in the secondary, with the amount of assets you put into it, with Tariq Woolen's development. You need that. You need that secondary to carry the day for you. You need it. You need to be. You built it outside in. Hopefully it works. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully it works. You know. Appreciate you. Thank you for the donos, man. Thank you so much. Megan says, I take your point about the here and now, but you know me, be long-term thinker here. Yeah, I'm good with that. And if I thought that there was a downside to playing him in the slot or that it makes him take steps back in his, um, you know, in his role on this team going into the future, I'd be hesitant to do so. But I don't think that it does that. Corner is corner. And though you do play different concepts in the slot than you play on the outside, he's going to learn to become a better cornerback this year. He will take steps forward in his development this year, whether he's in the slot or he's in the outside. And I think those would be equal steps, Megan, on each side of things. I think that that development would be that way. So uh, I, I get where you're coming from a little bit with it, but you also have a team this upcoming year that potentially could compete. You have an NFC conference that is wide open. You have two front runners and then a whole lot of nothing else between you and going and getting that number one bye. You and going and getting that NFC conference championship. You going and getting that Lombardi trophy. And the big thing to hold you back from that team ascending to that state is your defense. So whatever we can do to help this defense get incrementally better, I say do it. I say all the better because I don't want that to be the thing that holds this defense, this holds this team back this year, Megan. I don't want this offense taking flight and soaring and they're the new iteration of the greatest show on Pacific Northwest turf and you've got a defense that just can't stop anything. Um, Get the best team we can out there. Get that best starting five out on that basketball court, you know, regardless of position and make it work. And, and that's, I lean more into that because I think this team can compete next year. Uh, Tony Wright says, good evening, Brandon. I couldn't agree with you more. All teams need depth, which is why I'm glad that my Falcons signed the players that we did as we have depth that we haven't had in the past years. It's the new, this is the new wrinkling turn. This is the new part to the NFL, Tony. And you're right to notice it as well. I'm smart of you to notice it as well because things change in the NFL. Things are constantly being updated. Um, what is what is you know being held in high regard today might not be held in high regard tomorrow. What is catchy today, what's a du jour today is not going to be du jour tomorrow. Something that's now raising more to the forefront is this need for depth. Two Thursday night games this year. Two Thursday night games for teams. Have you guys heard about how much these players squawk about how hard it is to get their bodies ready by Thursday night? Have you seen these injury reports on Thursday night games and how many players you'll have out starting who wouldn't normally be out starting, who wouldn't normally be out playing because the roster is stretched so thin? As the NFL's added this extra game, as they've added this two Thursday night games, they've not expanded the roster. Yeah, you got more of a practice squad now, but the roster still is the roster. Game day active roster is still just the game day active roster as far as the size of it goes. So you got to build up more now, Tony, to the depth. You've got to have that as a part. You've got to think less in the mold of how we used to think and that it's all about the frontline starters now. Yes, those still are the those are still the, the most important keys and parts to your team that you want to you want to concentrate on. But it can't be the end all be all. You know, you can't just 
throw the throw the dice on those guys will start the whole year got to find those guys behind him that are going to be able to come in there and still be able to hold the water uh, even if the starters do go down and I agree your Falcons have taken some of those steps with some of their signings um, especially with a multitude of signings for them this offseason to try to take those steps to become that and I think smart teams are doing that as we start to go forward here especially Tony once we get to the 18th game that they're trying to add to the NFL season CJ says I think the main thing I think the key thing here is we are talking about minicamp. I would still say Spoon is the odds-on favorite to start outside. So many starting outside cornerbacks slide inside depending on the package. Seattle wants to know all he can do in their system. I think that that is certainly at the head of this, CJ, in that the move and moving Devon Witherspoon inside is to get the look of him inside. How does he look in there? How comfortable is he in there? Some of this is the door opening up because of the fact that you have Kobe Bryant having a toe issue right now that's keeping him off the football field. So there's an opening here to be had. And I think you are correct on the other side of this as well in that if we're we're putting the odds-on favorite, and and Megan, I'd offer this, that I do agree with CJ on this, that he is still the odds-on favorite to start on the outside. But my whole thing with this show and my whole thing that I think has become kind of a sudden development within this minicamp and something that's rightfully something that we should pay attention to is that Michael Jackson's ascent could mean Witherspoon gets moved into inside, and that doesn't speak to Witherspoon's failure at that point. It speaks more to Michael Jackson's ascent. And just my opinion on this. Just my opinion. But I think it's a fluid situation to me, CJ. And it's still got a couple different ways it can probably go. Um, DVD Forever says there's OTA footage of Spoon getting burned by JSN in the slot on a rub cross route. Don't you think Spoon is going to be better than that? Learn from it and get better with coaching from it? He's young. Oh, he absolutely will. And look, it was a it was a nasty route first off by Jackson Smith. It was a perfect, perfect rub route pick by the receiver cutting inside. He took a perfect route right in front of Witherspoon, cut off the angle to Witherspoon. He had to redirect that extra redirection along with the great route by Jackson Smith and Jigba frees up that big play to happen. Is he going to get smarter and better about that? Yeah. Oh, you better believe he will. Was it just also a gnarly run route by Jackson? I mean, that's why he's a first round pick too. You know, they, they get paid on the other side of the ball as well. Yeah, it was. It's a tough route to, de- it's a tough route to defend. Um, but yeah, he'll definitely develop. Michael Myers, the man-to-man interview with Pete was awesome. From the way they were talking, it will be hard to it'll be hard to glove on. Uh, it, I think a word got left out there, Michael. That's what caused me to pause. It will be hard to glove on from Diggs. It'll be hard to move on from Diggs because of his locker room presence, and that Bobby will probably be longer here too. I could see that, Michael. And I don't got any issue with that. I mean, at the end of the day, Diggs could have easily have led the NFL last year with eight or nine interceptions if if uh, his hands just had been a little bit more solid last season. But that was coming off the injury, and he wasn't at 100%. And he was still making those plays. I got no issues right now with where Quandre Diggs is at. I, I don't have any um, hankering that we have to look to move fast to get off of him. The door opens for it next year if, if he's not able or he starts to have some regression in his plays. He's getting older. But with that said, I certainly can see a future here with this team being so young of having Bobby and, and Quandre as kind of your two 
you know, your two pinnacle points of, of leadership on that defense that everything else kind of like can be the moons around those planets from a leadership standpoint. DVD forever says again, tenacious. Can we compare measurements of cup versus Witherspoon? Not just stats, but size. Yeah, sure. Let me see here what we got. I think Witherspoon ran all of the stuff at the combine. Yeah, he didn't do anything on his combine. So I'll have to go off the pro day numbers. Because Cooper Cup, Cooper Cup definitely did his share of stuff at the uh, combine. Cup was uh, 6'2", 204. So he's got about three inches and uh, 10 pounds, 15 pounds on uh, Witherspoon. Cup ran a 4.62. Uh, he had a 1.55 10-yard split, 31-inch vertical leap, 9.8 broad, 6.75 cone, and the 4.08 shuttle. Um, with Witherspoon, he ran on his on his pro day a 4.42. Um, and I don't see a lot of his other numbers here. So then, okay, we got 5.11.181. So I guess, yeah, he gives up a good probably 20 pounds to Cup. Uh, he's got 31.25 inch arms cup at 31 and a half. So very close there. Um, I don't see a lot of his other numbers here posted because he didn't run anything at the combine. I think he was injured at that time. I think even at his pro day, he was still kind of somewhat injured. So I'm not sure on his other numbers, but cup didn't test sensationally either. The good short area burst was there for cup. No doubt about that, but he wasn't an amazing tester either. Just a good football player. Uh, David Adams, Hawks need Percy Harvin, Tavon Austin type of receiver on this roster if they want to go deep into the playoffs. That'd be helpful, David. That'd be helpful. And Eskridge is that guy just sort of looming in the shadows as, as the, the most likely to become that dude. Be good to see if he could be. Uh, Megan says, I don't agree with playing players out of position, but I've said my piece, and that's all I'm saying. Fair enough, Megan. I get where you're coming from. I appreciate it, as I have done as well, as I've said my piece too. Addicted uh, Hawks, Brandon, talking about Thursday night games, it will make me feel kind of dirty if I watch the Hawks play twice on Thursdays. Feels like they're exploited. Sigh. I hate it. I hate it. And this is where the NFL becomes complete hypocrites because they go, hey, we're going to remove this kickoff rule because we had 12 guys that were concussed last year. And then the coaches go back, the NFL coaches go back, look at the tape, and they're like, uh, there was only like seven or eight guys that were concussed. Why'd you inflate the numbers? And then they go out and they play these Thursday night games, which are way more in total throughout the whole course of the game, um, dangerous for these players than any of those kickoffs. These guys' bodies aren't ready. They haven't recovered from the prior week. And, and they talk about this. Many players have talked about this. And it just, and the NFL just kind of plays this like, we don't see it. Yeah, what are you talking about? We don't, what do you mean? We don't, I don't see what you're talking about. What are you talking about? It's all about safety until it's not, you know? So what is it about? Is it about safety or is it not? And if it's not, you're going to play these two Thursday night games a year and all that, then put the effing kickoff rule back in, you know? <laughs> Gosh, dang it. Damn it. Um, 
Debo says, I'm sorry, you know, uh, Sidiki says, if they add the 18th game, they need to expand their roster to 60. Injury is always a factor and they need two bye weeks. Uh, save the geese, 100% yes and 100% yes. I, if, they don't add the, if they don't add the roster up to 60 by that point, I don't know what the hell they're trying to do or accomplish. And the two bye weeks, yes. You know, make sure the product being put on the football field is a good product. Not that you're just increasing the more games. And you can do that by increasing these rosters. You can. Um, and I don't mind it that way, frankly. It does become more of a team-based centric sport. You go to these 18th games. I mean, that's the one thing this does do is this pushes more back to having a strength of a team rather than just having the strength of starting units or having the stardom strength of, of a bunch of stars on your team. And that they're going to carry the day for you. I like that part of it a little bit, but they do need to offset this with uh, making this a little more protective based around the players. Deron ever says, hi, Pumpkin. You getting some love? You getting some love in the chat? Yeah. You got anything to say in the chat tonight? Anything to say? No? You're just chilling? You're kind of in chill mode, aren't you? Okay. Well, I'll let you chill then. Don't let me mess with you. Duran, she says hi back, by the way. She was like, what's up? Big country, I agree. They should have two bye weeks in there already right now as it is. I don't, it's just, it's just stupid. You kind of think about it with these players. Like the old school players went hardcore with it. They'd be doing the pills. They'd be doing the, the weekly toward all shots, you know? Now the new, new players are starting to understand, like, I can't do that stuff. I'm going to destroy my body. I'm not going to live as healthy and as long a life if I just shoot that stuff up 24-7. So now I just got to deal with the pain. Now I just got to sit back and, get, and, and grind through it a bit. You know, I don't have the magical tort all to make it all go away anymore. I mean, they do, but again, you, you come, there's so many risks that come with that. One way to get around that to me would be to give those the rest in there and get let the bodies recover. But they're all, they're pushing for this thing like nobody's business. Yeah, Jerron Everest, Thursday night football needs to be removed. Sunday, Monday, that's it. That's it. The Thursday night game to me is just gratuitous. CJ, Brandon, how are you feeling about Jordan Brooks' place in this defense this year with all the moving pieces whenever he, whenever he is able to get onto the field, assuming he can? The ACLs are tough to predict See for me, CJ. They are, uh, they're very tough for me to predict because of the fact that so, players seem to be so different in how they respond from them. Some guys bounce back and they're back the next year and it's almost like they didn't miss a beat. Some guys tell you that, man, I just wasn't quite right back that next year. I was dealing with a fluid in my knee. I had small tissue injuries on the other side of it. I, <coughs> I just couldn't quite get myself up to snuff. And uh, so where Jordan is on that and how far along he'll be on that by the time we get to the year, I'm not sure. I... Still lean into the same place with Jordan Brooks, CJ. And I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be cheeky about this. I, I do still just lean into the same place with Jordan Brooks that I've been from the very 
first night that we drafted him, when I was doing a live stream of the first round and announcing the Jordan Brooks pick. And that is that he is a guy that can stop the run. He's not going to get off. This defense doesn't exactly fit him very well, much like this defense didn't fit Cody Barton very well because they are two linebackers who struggled to get off second-level blocks. Bobby Wagner is very good about getting off second-level blocks. He is very hard to block up even when you've got him dead set in your sights as a lineman getting down to the second level. Not that way with Jordan Brooks. So he's a very good run defender. He can pursue like nobody's business. He's rangy as hell, sideline to sideline. But that's one hole to him as a run defender that does also exist in addition to the fact that he is a complete a complete nightmare as far as in coverage. He might be the worst middle linebacker in the entire sport in coverage. I, I don't think that that's overstating things. And that was when he had the healthy ACL. How is he now with the partially a partially healed, a partially returned ACL, you know, where he's still fighting through that. So my hopes are not tremendously high on Jordan Brooks at this point, CJ. I think he's probably better than Devin Bush. I don't know how significantly much so he's better than Jordan, than, uh, than Bush. Maybe Bobby coming back and removing the green dot off his helmet and him not having to call the plays, him moved out of that role a little bit will help him and make things easier for him. But I don't have high hopes for him. The team doesn't seem to have super high hopes for him. They didn't activate his fifth-year option. So they seem to be kind of already starting to look a little bit forward on this one too. Um, so, yeah, I, I wish I felt a little bit higher on him, but I don't. Um, and I, I, I would say he's kind of forgotten maybe, but again, when he was healthy, there are, he, he may get his share of tackles, CJ, but he gives up so many yards in coverage. He is such a negative for you as far as in coverage goes. It's just he does not have any instincts in zone at all. No natural feel for how to, how to deal with things back there. And he gets attacked nonstop. Orange Cat demands a sacrifice. She always demands a sacrifice. Deron says, if uh, fans and players push for it, I believe they can make it happen. I think the players more even than the fans here big, uh, could do it there, uh, Duran. The problem comes into play is that the CBA negotiations come along and the players get concentrating on how can we practice less and yeah, add whatever you want to add into the thing. That's kind of how this all goes for the players. So as long as they're not having to practice as much, as long as they're getting more time off, add, add away, NFL. You know, they're just going to count the money and go. So I think the players are just not going to ever get on, on board enough with that to make that happen. I think Vox, Brandon, wouldn't expanding the roster to 60 be increased of seven? Yes. We'd still have 22 starters risking injury twice a year. Stop the Thursday night games, in my opinion. Maybe a Saturday night, okay. I mean, I'm, I'd be more okay with a Saturday night game on, on a regular than the Thursday night. That one at least is closer and keeping the players in closer alignment with their normal schedule, their normal recovery process. So I, I'd be with that. And I'm on board with no more Thursday night games in full. I'm, I'm completely with that. Um, so yeah, no doubt about it. I don't, I don't think it's a good product. I don't think we get good games on Thursday night. I think it's kind of a sloppy affair. It's teams that are tired. It's teams that are sore as hell. Ski Nation, the Hawks Nest, if the NFL refuses to get rid of Thursday night football, why not at least compromise and move it to Friday or uh, move it to Friday night football? I know college is Saturday night. What's wrong with Friday? I don't know. I'm okay with that too. Friday's better than Thursday. Thursday's that right in the middle of the week thing where you've had three days since Sunday to recover, which ain't nothing for players. Not in the car crash wrecks they get into on a weekly basis. It's nowhere near enough. I mean, I don't think you're barely right by the next Sunday. 
you cut half that time away. So if you can give anybody, give them an extra day, give them an extra two days, whatever you can do. Hell, why does college football have to dominate college football on Saturday nights? Why can't you have a Saturday night football game? You know, let, let NCAA move themselves to Friday night occasionally. You know, you're strong enough as the NFL, you can dictate the time of day on that stuff, can't you? Duran says they just have added Monday night double headers every week instead of Thursday night football. They should have. Yeah, that would have been another way to go with it, Duran. All these are much better creative pathways to, if they want to create more, get more football out there. If that's the bottom line to do it, all of these are so much more creative and smarter fashions than picking Thursday night, which just is just sits there like a, a wart, right? Megan says, uh, hey, B, just learned another fa- fun fast fact about a certain left-handed quarterback. He was in The Simpsons. I did not know Jimmy Zorn was in The Simpsons. I know he had Griffey in there. They got Jimmy Zorn in there, huh? Okay, how about that? How about that? And you're right about that. I didn't, there's no Dave Craig in The Simpsons. I would remember that from my childhood. Uh, big country, I've seen so many injuries on Thursdays too. It's a joke. It is a joke. It's, it's just, you, when, you're, when you're sore, when you've got something, a lot of injuries in the NFL happen where a guy might be 100% healthy and the ankle twists, twists, turns, snaps, breaks, cracks, rips, tears. But a lot of times, you have a situation like Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman had a sore Achilles heel, dealing with it through the year. Team was trying to rest him. Richard was fighting through it, trusted his body, trusting he could get through it. And then what did we have? Stupid-ass Thursday night game. And Richards forced himself to get out there and try to play. Why? Because he's trying to play for a new contract at the time. The Achilles sore. And it finally snaps. And that's what happens with a lot of these players in these Thursday night games. It's not just merely that you're sore and going through the motions. It's that you've got an injury that you're trying to manage and, 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 and keep protected and through as much as you can. And that you're just needing that whole week to get it strong enough that you can get through a whole game. And you're not strong enough on that Thursday night. And then, patow. You know, you tear something. And the NFL shrugs and goes, oh, it wasn't us. CJ Hasselbach was in South Park. Okay. <laughs> uh, Narc Diary says, I'm so freaking hyped for Kenny McIntosh. What a personality. He's awesome. He's awesome. And they've got themselves uh, a hell of a player. I mean, you go listen to Charles Nagy, the uh, senior bowl guy, talk about him alone. Boy, if that doesn't get you hyped up, I don't know what will. He's like, oh, no, we had a higher grade on him than Zach Charbonnet. You know, they were, they were all in on Kenny McIntosh. And, uh, you know, the, the reasons for him dropping, not, there's, there's nothing bad about it. There's nothing that you go, oh, well, we've got to be worried about this. Like, well, he dropped because wasn't used a ton there at Georgia as much as some of the other running backs that are picked higher in this draft because they were so stocked. Not a bad black mark on his resume. Oh, he didn't test out particularly well. Okay, that's not great. But when you turn on the tape, he looks football fast. He looks good. Looks like he can get the job done. Doesn't look like he's limited athletically or from a burst or a speed standpoint. And his one five one his one five four ten yard split is certainly plenty, plenty quick enough. So I think he's going to find a role here on this team this upcoming year, Nark. I think he may not be a 10, 20, 15 carry guy, but five touches, get him as your kick returner. He'll have an impact. Eddie Docks, Brandon, the Gemini in me struggled with the Sherman story. Very sad he got injured, but your what is sound of his Achilles snapping did kind of make me laugh. <laughs> I need help. 
That's my Achilles snap sound. Wazing! <laughs> like a fan belt twisting back in and on itself. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the Achilles one gets me. That's one of the ones that, that scares me kind of to death. Because I love playing my basketball, but that's the one that gets a lot of guys. It's like, even more than the ACL, man. The Achilles is the one that like, you get it, you can recover, but... You know, now you're never as quick. You're never as fast. You lose a little bit of, you lose a little bit of juice. You know, you're not full on hobbled. You know, you're not like misery hobbled, but you're, uh, you're definitely just a little bit reduced. I got to check out that Jimmy Zorn episode. I got to look that up, Megan. See if I can find that on YouTube. Geron Revis says, you can't catch a football. Let's see if you can catch a rock. <laughs> Uh, Amari Taylor, do you think Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, the next great wide receiver? Do you think Jackson Smith and Jigba will be the next great wide receiver? And do you think Devon Witherspoon is the next great cornerback? Um, I think Tariq Woolen is probably your next great cornerback in the NFL. I think Witherspoon will be a very, very good cornerback in this league and maybe even almost a, a star level player at one point or another. But I don't know if he becomes ever a guy that's in contention as one of the best corners in the game, which if the next great cornerback, I think that at the very least, you got to be in contention as one of the uh, best corners in the entire sport. Is Jackson Smith and Jigba going to be able to round out into becoming the next great wide receiver? I don't quite see that myself. You know, my outlook for him, Amari Taylor is more of a Amon St. Brown kind of guy. Um, maybe he can slide into being kind of like a Cooper Cup role guy, but I don't see him being quite that prolific. Um, so I, I still, both in both cases of these guys, I'm not down on either of them. And I both see them with a very high end and top end of their future. But I just reserve very few players for that that great kind of measure of things and where you put them, you know. that's It's a very few and far between kind of number of guys in that kind of spectrum. William Foster says, the new crew, new crew defensive backs are coverage killers. It's a deep crew, William. It's deep, it's stacked. And they're going to get the job done all the way around. Nolan R. Vance, thank you for another $5 donation and all your donos tonight, brother. It is very much appreciated. It says Friday nights are for high school football. That's true. I had totally forgotten about that, Nolan. My bad. Uh, watch the South try to leave the Union if you mess with their high school football. I, that's completely true, man. I had, to, I had 100% paced that out. I'm an old man now. I'm so far removed from high school that I had just... I had completely forgotten about that. Yeah, the NFL wouldn't probably try to, they wouldn't try to mess with that. You're, you're right. You're very right there. Maybe like, no, that's, that's high school days. So I guess no one, we're just stuck on Thursday at this point, aren't we? <laughs> no way around it. It's just going to have to be Thursday or bust. Well, then hell with it. Let's take Saturday. Why does college football get all of Saturday? They get Saturday morning. They can have Saturday afternoon. They can have Saturday late afternoon. But Saturday evenings are for NFL football. DVD forever, Kenny Mack. Imagine Barry Sanders if he was still a backup in his senior year. That's just my thought. Hmm? I might have missed something on that one. Nolan, thanks for all those don't knows, brother. Save the Geese says, wonder if whenever Seattle gets a new owner, they upgrade the stadium. 
it's probably going to be due for a renovation fairly soon. I don't think they're going to try to like wreck it down and put a, build a whole new one at this point, but uh, it's probably about due, I would say. They probably need to, need to definitely increase the screen size in the stadium at least. Megan says, never done an Achilles injury. It's one injury that scares the hell out of me. That's the one that gets me, Megan. It's a number one, it's a gnarly, just scary kind of your your tendon snaps. I mean, that that alone is ugh. But then you just the recovery process, the 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 knowing you're not gonna get back to a full full run. I I hate that because I I like still going out and being at, you know. I like running my, I went out today and played basketball. I still love going out there and getting my runs in and all that. And I just, dude, that would depress the hell out of me. <clears throat> I think the Ox has agreed. Tariq is Sherman 2.0 IMO. He is. To me, that's the next great corner in this game. He's the next guy that's going to ascend. He's going to ascend past Gardner, send past Derek Steenley, ascend past any of these other guys. Jarek Alexander's really been really good, but you know, he's going to get past these guys. He'll be your next one to me. A guy comes out this year and, and has the kind of year he does in his rookie year, so new to the position, only having played it twice in two years in college. And he just instantly takes hold like that, playing off sheer instinct, speed, and athleticism. The sky is the literal limit for Tariq Woolen. There is no cap here. There is no yeah, but. There is no yeah, but. And in some ways, he has more potential than Sherman. In many ways, he has more potential than Sherman uh, in what he can bring to the table. So uh, I, that's, he's on a different level. It's hard to put Devin Witherspoon into the, even in that kind of same realm. It's hard to put any cornerback, though, in NFL into that same kind of realm. CJ says, unfortunately, even though we lost the Bears in the second round, does anyone remember the, how stirred, studly Hasselbeck was in his final two Seahawks games? 530 yards, seven touchdowns, and one interception in the playoffs. I miss Matt. Matt was uh, absolutely at his best in those final two playoff games. I do believe that that Saints playoff game has a very strong argument to be made that that was potentially Matt Hasselbeck's best game as a pro. I think he had other games. He might've put up a little bit more yards in the air, but every throw in that game was so on point, was so money. And his decision-making was just awesome. Um, and even the next week, certainly, um, certainly gave, gave the bears all they could kind of take in that, in that next week, you just didn't have the dogs to get it done on the defensive side of the ball, really when it all boiled down there. But, uh, yeah, Matt, Matt went out with a bang. He went out of the bang. We remember that beast mode game against the Saints is the one that's, you know, like Marshawn runs for 140 and he, he kind of carried the day. Yeah, Matt also threw for well over 300 yards in that final game and, uh, and was just dropping dimes everywhere. Everywhere. Spectre 7, thank you for the $5 donation. I do appreciate it. He says, Grandpa tore his Achilles around the age of 65. Could walk, but always had a very noticeable limp. Was never quite the same. Those injuries are nasty. Yeah, I, it was the, I can even remember being initially like having, you know, you, you have your moments of consciousness when you, you're aware of something. And I remember it was Nesby Glasgow for you old Seahawks fans. I'm going deep on this one. But I remember it was, I, it might've been Rabel talking about Nesby Glasgow coming back from a torn, a torn Achilles and the description. And I've heard other people talk about this too. Trent Dilfer's talking about it with his Achilles. That it's like you're, it's like you're walking in a boot all the time. Like one foot's got a boot on it, twenty four seven. And uh, I mean, to walk with a limp, to walk where you can't, you know, you you can't. I want to give him, you know, 
And not to mention, you you certainly would have some PTSD to about re-injuring it, I'm sure, as you, you went through the rest of your life. Like, is this going to cause this to pop again now? Or is it, uh, am I good? But uh, there, it's a nasty injury. That one's just one that's just, the ACL's tough, no doubt about that. Back injuries are horrific too. But boy, those Achilles. And having them late in life, 65. You don't want those late life injuries. You don't want those broken bones and everything just doesn't quite heal. <laughs> It won't, it won't bounce back right. Getting old sucks. Can we just address this? Getting old just literally just, it, it's the worst. It is the worst. I feel bad for your grandpa though. DVD forever says Sherman versus Revis. Woolen versus Gardner. Same scenario. Very, very, very true, man. It's very equivalent. We got the next iteration. Uh, Wu-Tang Financial says Smooth Criminal is going to start day one. I think he is, Wu-Tang. I think he is. Uh, especially considering that I think Jamal's not going to be ready day one. Julian Love's going to have to play strong safety. Kobe Bryant's now your slot guy. Mike Jackson ascends. And at least game one, at least game one, um, that to me puts Mike Jackson on the outside. Mark Taylor Will you do? Will you be doing the 2024 NFL draft quarterbacks like how you did last year, like scouting them? Oh yeah, I think I think I've got to. Um, indeed, I'm Mari. And in fact, I'm just kind of getting ready here to start up on beginning some of my evaluations on on some of these players. I've actually looked at a lot of the players in next year's draft already. Uh, Jared Verse out of Florida State, uh, Cooper Bebe out of Kansas. Uh, most of these quarterbacks, I've even taken a good long look at Caleb Williams, Drake May. Uh, DJ Hugo Lele, uh, KJ Jefferson, you know, a lot of these guys, I've, I've seen a lot of tape on them. So I've already got a pretty good feel for a lot of them, but now, yeah, we're going to start rounding into the place where I'll be doing more and more. Um, I might eventually do a little bit more of my Seahawks scouting channel. I've just been putting a really the, the full boat of the, um, attention here on the Seahawks channel because we've been doing so good this off season, but I think it'll be some more room to start getting a little bit more of that going next year for sure. So do stay, make sure you're Mari, you're uh, subbed up to the Seahawks scouting channel. Because I'll probably be getting some videos through there. But uh, that would be the plan. I want to definitely get, as every year my goal of Mari is to try to get more of you on these guys further ahead of time. Where I'm not doing it as a last minute trying to cram like for an exam. What I'm actually, you know, getting out ahead of this stuff and really getting a good long look at these guys. Megan says, I've had, I've torn and snapped every other tendon in my right foot aside from my Achilles. And they've never been right. Yeah, it probably works that way all the way down the line with those. Those tendons are kind of funky like that. Jacob says, rename the stadium in honor of Paul Allen. I wouldn't say no to that, Jacob. He'd earned it. Whether it's renaming the stadium or giving the man a statue, he certainly has uh, earned either, I would say. Wu-Tang says, Woolen was dope last year and he wasn't even that good fundamentally. When he gets coached up, he's going to be on another planet. That's my opinion too. You guys aren't that good that early. Guys aren't that good that early, that new to that position. Guys aren't that good that early, that new to the position, not knowing what the hell they're doing out there, not knowing how to read route concepts, not understanding how their drop is supposed to be fluidly with their pedal, just operating purely off that speed and athleticism almost solely alone. DVD forever. We lost Anthony McCoy to Achilles. He was so athletic for a while, couldn't catch, but was so big and so fast. Boy, was he ever. I think a former, if I'm not mistaken, five-star guy down there with USC. And I think he tore it a couple times, DVD. I think he did like one one year. And then I think DVD, didn't he come back the next year? 
and then tore the other one the next year after that. It was like just, oh, brutal. Completely brutal. Save the Geese says, man, just give Woolen a D-line that can force the quarterback to throw the ball quick. He'd get 10 picks. Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Another part I'm hoping with the Save the Geese is that whoever it is that develops to the other side of him too, be it Jackson or Witherspoon, that they can at least get to a place of then forcing those quarterbacks to have to target Woolen's side of the field because that will open that door up as well to him getting more of those interceptions if he can pull that off. Xavier Gee says, whenever I hear of Achilles, I just think of the Brad Pitt movie. <laughs> I, yeah, that's fair. That's fair enough too. It was, a good, it was a good flick. It's a good popcorn movie. Daron can't find the Jim Zorn episode on Simpsons, Megan. You got to give us a, a year and a date on that one so we can look it up. Sector 7 says, man, freaking Luis Castillo, six walks today. Ouch. Totally unrelated to the stream, but do you think we even have a shot at having more than one all-star this year for the M's? Um, I mean, bottom line is, I don't know that they deserve to have more than one. There's other, other guys, other players in, in the AL that are playing better. And, um, you know, you, you get an energy of seasons, be it in any sport with the team, and expectations come in with that, and you start to feel that, it's just not there and it's just not cooking up. And there certainly is more time for the Mariners to still turn this around. It's getting late in the hour. It's getting late in the day for them to try to scuttle around to find their way. And there doesn't seem to be a pathway to this just suddenly turning on and them being all okay and everything being all right. Um, because they suddenly figure out how not to strike out 24 seven. Um, so <clears throat> it's tough right now. It's tough sector seven. And I've taken a step back from streaming a little bit on the channel just because it's, it is hard at times watching this team, you know, lose at times the same way over and over again. And uh, today, Castillo walks a lot. That's unusual for sure. But um, I I do hope that if we get to the end of this year, if we get through this season of the Mariners and they're still continuing to do what they do this year, where we're getting another year, we're not competing, not pushing, expectations not being met, that the ownership finally takes a choice here to understand that they they're they're probably not going to but i wish they would to you know really understand that we need to take some steps forward here to really show the fans that we're going to try to build a winner here and that you can talk to me all day about how you can't buy a winner and do all this i've often said it's not just about you buying a winner you can also go trade for players who are making a good salary who are good players that you have to give up assets to go get that's another way to onboard salary but that's also been a place that they've not necessarily been willing to, to take that approach with either. And uh, this was the most profitable team in all of baseball last year, probably will be again so this year, considering how low their payroll is. And uh, they need to do some different, it's time for some different things, I think. Megan says, wow, just worked out how to scare B, mentioned tendon injuries. I love my basketball, Megan. I don't ever want to put down my ball. And I'm getting to that age now where it's like, I still love it, but there aren't a lot of guys out on the court in their mid-40s when I go into that court rolling like I roll full speed. And you just, you, you, it's in the back of your head, you know, and you're just like, oh. I like, I like shooting my hoops. <laughs> I, like my ball. I like balling. <laughs> I want to give it up. I don't want to do that. I'm too old for this now thing. I don't want to Danny Glover this. Yeah. Too old for this stuff. I haven't met my Mel Gibson yet. 
Sector 7 says, I can't blame you at all for not watching the Mariners. I haven't watched the last six games and maybe just casual scoreboard watching. It's really sad. I think some of it, what I get to too, is that growing up with a guy like Lou Pinella, who showed you what a strong-minded uh, coach um, can bring to a ball club. I'm not trying to hate on service and I don't think he's necessarily a bad manager, but I can't help but come back to when you have what, four of the top five hitters in, in, in baseball and strikeouts that maybe your manager's not really pushing forward the discipline side of your plate approach. And that's the part that's jumped out to me that's the toughest part to watch in those games over and over again because there is no adjustment and they keep doing the same thing, which is a complete lack, an utter lack of an ability to control the zone, the strike zone. You don't see a plan at the plate. You don't see them looking for pitches. You just see guys going up there flailing. And some of them are young like Julio and Jared and, and Raleigh where you know they're, they're figuring out how to be hitters in the major leagues. Some of these guys are older and should know better. Teoscar Hernandez and Eugenio Suarez, I mean, some of it's their game is they're going to strike out some, but some of it's also like, dear God, come on. Come on. But uh, as a manager at one point or another, you start to look at those stats year in and year out of your guys striking out like that, and you go, okay, guys, okay, boys. I need some hitters that are going to control the zone here. And then you're here to squawk. Oh, we got to be able to swing too, coach. We got to you. Okay, you got to be able to swing. You're hitting 200. You're, I lose nothing by having you take more pitches. I lose nothing by having you lock in on a certain pitch you start to look for and make a pitcher throw a certain pitch at a certain strike. But I don't see that from the hitters. So many swings at balls out of the zone. Greg says, just started watching Miami Vice. Makes me really wish I grew up in the 80s. It captured the spirit really well, Greg. Not a lot of 80s entertainment quite captured the, the whole vibe and feeling off the 80s because it was a unique decade. Nothing like the 80s, just like there was nothing like the 70s, other than late, it's kind of like the late 60s and 70s were all kind of one sort of period. But same thing there with the 80s. DVD says, uh, McCoy's Achilles snapped during a practice, done after that, missed that guy. Yeah, he was a good one. Megan says, basketball B, again, how are we friends? Hockey all the way. I love, I love basketball. I love it. I go out there, I do an hour workout, I'm covered in sweat by the end. And I've had no idea that I've worked out. I'm just having a ball, right? Everything, every time else you go out on a treadmill, you go out and walk on the trail, you lift weights. It's like you're aware you're doing it all the time. Ethan Tech World. Hey, Brando. Sorry, I haven't been here in a while. I'm back from UW for the summer. How's it going? Doing great, man. Been rolling along. No worries. I know people get, get in here when you can get in here. So it's been all good. But uh, it's good to see you in here, man. I've been doing great. Streams have been rolling along well. Seahawks Blue and Green Service isn't the guy. I don't think he is either. The managers can affect a lot in modern day baseball and maybe less than ever with how analytics is now ruling the day as much as ever. But the one place that you could be coming in and having an effect here is the guy's approach to the plate. And it's been putrid as an approach to the plate. And some of that's got to come in from service as a manager here having a voice on this. In utero, guys, hi, Brandon. I was without internet for a while. A crazy lightning storm blew out our utilities and stuff. Well, I hope you're holding in there okay now, man. We've been having some crazy weather out here in the east this uh, spring, though, too. A lot of lightning storms, a lot of wind storms, that type of thing. Megan says, the only thing I love about basketball is that t-shirt, B. I, hey, I love ball. I love basketball. It's the, it's the one thing you just get a ball, go out on the court, you're rolling. Daniel says, the new Miami Vice, the older Miami Vice. I haven't seen the Jamie Foxx Colin Farrell movie. 
Uh, it's the older one that's the more captures the 80s. I think he was watching the 80s one on that one. I don't think he's watching the, the Fox Farrell one is not one that anybody was really revering. That was the one where I think Colin Farrell admitted he was basically drunk the whole production at some point or another. Yeah, well, dang, there's nothing like hoops, man. I love hoops. Someday I'll show you guys. I got some skills as a baller. You guys, if you guys saw my handles, you guys would be pretty impressed. I've, I've been playing for a lot of years, so I've, I actually can play pretty good. I don't have any natural leaping ability. No quickness, right? I'm definitely white man, no jump. But uh, I'll tell you, I got a yo-yo dribble like you wouldn't believe. DVD, banners need another bench clearing brawl to, to pull their head, their over-relaxed heads out their ass. <laughs> Agreed. It helped last year. It couldn't hurt this year, right? Uh, Sector 7 says, that was me when I played tennis. Was a fantastic workout and had zero idea I was even working out. Same with uh, Mill Slim Outdoor Airsoft. I don't know what Mill Slim Outdoor Airsoft is. I am with that with tennis. Pickleball outside. I'm that way too, Sector 7. I played tennis a couple times. It does that too. Something that just keeps your mind active while you're working out. I love that. And, and just keeps you engaged. Especially if you can turn on like a little bit of music with it or something. It's like, dude, you just, you go hard. You don't think about it. And you stop 45 minutes later, you're dripping sweat. And you're like, oh man, don't my workout. All right. White Bird says classic Mariner season, need new ownership. It's going to get to that point, White Bird. And I'm about, I'm going to get to that point here very quickly with this ownership. My patience is wearing thin, thin. When I as a fan base, when we as a, not I as a fan base, when we as a fan base are making you the most profitable organization of any other organization in the entire Major League Baseball, you should reward that. You shouldn't come squawking back to me about your process. You couldn't, shouldn't come squawking back to me about, you know, well, guys that spend money don't actually get the returns on the money that they spend. I can get that to a degree, but you take that to an extreme degree, and now you're just using that as an excuse. And that's a little bit of what it starts to feel like at this point in time as we look at this Mariner team that should be way better that has had the time now for DePoto here to return this and reset this, that should have the money in the coffers now to go out there and bring somebody on, and they're not. And I agree with you on this, White Bird, where I come back to this going, hey, does this come back to, I got an ownership here more enthralled at the thought of turning a profit every year rather than trying to turn out a real high-end baseball team, a team that can compete and go out there and win a World Series for, I don't know, maybe the first time in its entire existence? Or even just get to the World Series for the first time in its entire existence. Greg says, I just hope uh, Rick keeps getting picks. I don't know what's going on anymore. I don't know what's going on anymore. I do too. Megan says, uh, if you have to tell us about your skills, BA, I, I call nope, none there. I'll show you. I'll film it at some point. Guys will be blown away. I'll be like, is that Tim Hardaway? Is that Tim Hardaway out there with that crossover? No, no. Just Brandon. Wu-Tang says, at least my Spurs got Wemby. I'd rep the Hawks. I'd rep the Sonics too if they came back. I got to say hi to GP at the 96 All-Star Game at the Alamo Dome. Yeah, good on the Spurs, man. Wemby went to the right spot there, didn't he? They, they know how to teach up those big men there in San Antonio. So uh, he should be very, very well equipped there with that team. And uh, hopefully our Sonics come back sooner than later on this one. Greg says, yeah, I was talking about the 80s show and uh, not the movie. Miami Vice has great visuals, good acting, fashion, music, and pretty solid writing. I can see why people love it so much. You can also see too, Greg, uh, some of that's Michael Mann. Um, he's a really underrated director throughout his time. Um, a guy that, you know, he made he made Heat, for instance. I'm sure, Greg, you've seen Heat. So you can kind of see he's got a very 
um, very particular visual style. Um, and he's very good at that. Very, very good at that. His bread and butter in certain respects. Megan says, I miss being able to play hockey. Knees, ankles, and lungs won't let me play anymore. I'm getting there with my lungs in basketball, especially when I play like five and five and going full court. That's when the lungs start kicking and going, no, you're not, you're not a young buck anymore. But uh, my ankles, knees, everything else holds up pretty good overall, which is good. Yeah. Kid old sucks. Are you Alex Brandon? Haven't worked in MPLS. I was a huge Twins fan. Oh, Minneapolis. Sorry. Uh, Seattle's B-ball is barely above minor league. I feel sad for hardcore Mariner fans. Mariner fans, they deserve a better product. They do. This this fan base here in Seattle has not been one that's been. You could make the argument actually. Sorry, I want to text somebody here real quickly. most um you could make the argument that the seattle mariner fans have been the least bandwagon bandwagon driven fans of any of the fans in this in the city i don't think we have a bandwagon state of mentality anyway i think we support our teams and we do whether you win or lose but the mariner fans have been representations of that because over the 20 years since 2001 where you were truly last really good that stadium even for years after that 2001 season 2004, 2005, 2006, 2007 would still put out 3 million people in attendance on a yearly basis. It took years of being bad, years of squandered goodwill before you finally got to a point where you were under that 3 million mark. You know, this, these fans show up for this team. These fans support this team. They're loved throughout town. They've embraced Julio. They embrace the other players. I'd, I'd, I'd just love to see the ownership take a step forward on this and be like, hey, let's show you guys what we're about to. Let's reward this on this. We've put you through this ringer for long enough. See, Alex Blue and Green uh, says we need a better second baseman, DH, and or outfielder for starters. Second baseman, DH, is certainly the straightforward place that you could improve right now, right from the jump. Uh, Megan says Michael Mann made the first Hannibal Lecter movie called Manhunter. That's another great film. Uh, some of you folks may be aware of the, I think, Red Dragon basically redid Manhunter. But of course, Michael Mann, I'm with you, Megan. Michael Mann's Manhunter was better. Um, the villain was great. Uh, you even get uh, Brian Cox, for you folks that love Succession, the show with HBO Max, the main guy, Brian Cox, the, the Logan Roy character there. He actually once played Hannibal Lecter before Anthony Hopkins. And he did a great job. So uh, yeah, that's a, a Manhunter is a fantastic uh, movie and a great book. I read that book, Megan. It was a, it's a very good book. It's a very good writer. Sector 7 says Airsoft is basically paintball, but more realistic, military-themed like Battlefield, but real life in a good way to put it, without the actual death. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad you don't act, add in the actual death in that. But uh, yeah, I've heard of that. I'd have fun going out and doing that at some point, Sector 7. They got that out in Hawaii in some spots where you can go out there and uh, um, set up shop out there. That'd be fun at some point. In Utero says, uh, need to sign Shohei next year. Who cares if it costs $500 million? Who cares? Who cares? There's one player that I'm going to walk up to and give him a blank check. Is it not going to be Shohei Otani? <laughs> I mean, especially considering the state that we find ourselves in, especially considering this, the level of competition for his services if he goes in to become a free agent next year. You know? Wu-Tang says Collateral was another banger by Michael Mann. Another great movie by Michael Mann. One of the truly great Tom Cruise performances, a performance that shows you, man, if we could get more of Tom Cruise's evil Cruise, give me some of that, right? Give me fat hands, cruise, and tropic thunder. Give me, uh, 
Give me the Winslow, was his name Winston character in Collateral where he's white-haired, cold-blooded as hell. But uh, yeah, another great, great flick. Shot in like HD too. Just well done by man. He's got some really good, good ones on the res. Dean Hawk says, Heat, De Niro, Pacino, Val Kilmer. How could that not be a great movie? Oh man, I mean, even, I think even beyond that, you know, you had the one guy who always plays the slimy corporate guy in the movie. Remember him? Um, he's the guy that they rip off and then they try to sell the bonds back to. That guy's been in like everything. I forget. William Fickner is his name. Um, that guy's in everything. You had um, Henry Rollins was in it. Uh, we had uh, the, the um, who's the guy, the Desperado guy with the knives. He's got the big uh, lady. He's got the, the Mexican lady on his chest. Um, he, was, he was in that movie. Um, the Forrest Gump guy, the, the shrimp, shrimp guy, he was in the movie. They got the the guy that played um, Geronimo, Wes Studi. He was that man. That that cast was stacked. It's like everyone was in that film. It was good. Seahawks Blue and Green says Otani would fill two positions that desperately need. He would. I think he's well worth the money to spend. I'm not a big guy in spending money, but that's one guy I would do it. I wouldn't think twice about it. Scarred lungs, Megan. Oh, sorry to hear that. That's tough. Megan says, I'm uh, with you on the M's, B. Love them since Ichiro and wondering if I will continue. They've got a, there comes a point where you can ask your fans to me, Megan, to be a, as loyal as you want. And I think fans have a, a have a certain, uh, if you're going to be a fan of a sports team and you're from that city, that there is a little bit of that, you owe that loyalty to that, that city and to that, to that team. And that's through good times and bad. And I, I really fully do believe in that. But I also believe that that can be used against those fans by ownership, especially when the ownership doesn't care. And us in Seattle, we've got a little bit of a sensitivity to this. We've had a Ken Baring come through here and buy the team and purposefully deep six the team because he really wanted to move the team to LA. We've had a guy like Jeff Smolian come in here and buy our Mariners because he wants to move the Mariners to St. Petersburg so he's not going to commit to really building a winner with his pocketbook. We've been down this road before. And it's not a fun road to bend. We've had Clay Bennett come through here and purposefully make sure the team was crap so he could say, oh, you're not filling the stadium because I have a crap team, so now I can move to Oklahoma City. Very sensitive about this, and rightfully so. You know, we've been played in this respect before. And it's and I'm, you know, I, I, you, if you're going to ask me as a fan to stay, stay and remain patient and to be loyal, and you're not going to provide me any of that ever that winter, you're not going to reward that patience outside of a, an occasional flash once every four years, that's not right. That's not right. And that's not a commitment to a, a winning as an organization. Mega says, Brian Cox from Succession was Hannibal. That's right. William Peterson was also good in that. It's kind of his original CSI role to prepare him for CSI, Megan. I'm sure that's why they thought he'd be great in CSI. I was like, look at him back in Manhunter. He can do it. Not that he hasn't, wasn't in a lot of good stuff. Peterson's kind of underrated. Megan says, I refused to watch it for years after Hopkins, but ended up seeing it and loved it. Hopkins was great. And he took it in a different place than, of course, uh, Brian Cox kind of grounded the character more in a reality kind of bit where, where Hopkins took him to almost kind of an ethereal level a little bit. King Zoe says, Shohei will stay with the Angels, especially if they keep winning with the Angels. He may. He may. There are some rumors about potentially LA being sold and all that but it's possible it's definitely no for sure thing that you're going to get him 
DVD Forever says, hire me as an actor. I will flip some tables claiming I'm a silent owner and I will spit in their Gatorade bucket and tell them I gave staff the day off. Clean this mess up, your damn self. <laughs> Do you like the scene DVD out of uh, Bull Durham where uh, the coach comes over to Kevin Costner who's shaving and Costner's hit a home run in the game and the team's lost and says, I don't know what to do with these guys. What am I going to do with them? And Costner's shaving and he says, scare them. What? Scare them. They're young. Scare them. So the guy runs in there with a bunch of, bunch of uh, bats and throws it into the, throws it into the, uh, uh, throws it in as they're all showering. Bunch of lollygaggers. Lollygaggers. Danny Trejo. Thank you, Michael Myers. That's who was in there. Danny Trejo. <laughs> I didn't say a lot of words in that role, but he was in it. Kings, oh yeah, I bet the LA probably has the budget for it. They're not spending a lot of money on a lot of other guys outside of Mike Trout either. Megan says, look what happened to the Sonics after the ownership, which I still, oh, so bitter about B. I am too. I hate that stuff. It's dirty. It's dirty. And it does, it does communities dirty when they don't deserve it. It's one thing if the community doesn't support the team. It's one thing if the community doesn't back the team. It's another thing when the team purposely sets out acting in bad faith, um, as, as was the case in that situation and in the Mariners and in the Seahawks situation. King's House is at least the Mariners aren't going to Vegas. There is that. <laughs> there, is, there is that silver lining. Seahawks blue and green. The Seahawks going to OKC. OKC was so shady. The commissioner was in on it. Super shady. It's it's so wrong. You know this. We absolutely supported the Sonics throughout our time. We have a track record of winning a title here. You just did a renovation on Key Arena, not what ten years prior to then moving out of town, something like that. I mean, what you know? What's your reason? The team hadn't been good in probably ten years prior to them leaving. No. Megan says Hopkins is the reason I have two Hannibal Funkos on the desk right now, as you know, B. Hell yeah. That was a hell of a performance on his part. Dick Knox says, Brandon, hearing you speak truthfully about Mariners is an example of why I watch you. Network TV sports announcers don't get real ever about the Mariners. I try to hold off on getting too negative at times, Dick Knox. I mean, <laughs> I, it's, you know, I can go back to a little bit like my Cameron Young video that I still get some negative stuff on. And the one few times I go negative on this channel as far as what you get as far as backlash and people... But when it comes to a certain point, it comes to a certain point. And uh, I appreciate that. That's always going to be the real point of where I go from and that I, I'm not going to lean away from calling things as they need to be called. And I might be wrong about it. I could be off my, my rocker with it. But with this one, when there's so much time that this has taken over, I don't think that I'm off. And I think there's enough of you that are in agreement with this. And I've heard enough of other people in the same lane of it where it is time to call this to the mat. This is enough of this. This is, you've had your time. You've had all of your little, I'm, we're in our plan phase. You've had your 20 years to mess about here and you can blame it on this and you can blame it on that, but the bottom line doesn't change. You're either in and you're trying to win and you're doing everything you can and you're competing with the big boys or you're not. And if you're not, then don't ask the fans to ride with you because you're BSing them because there, there is no chance you can compete with those teams. It's like, you're, it's like you're playing a Broadway show or something rather than really trying to play a sport at that point. It's the same, same thing that drove me crazy back with those Yankee teams back in the day. It's like they're buying these rosters up. You got a, you got a third of their payroll and you're going to compete with them. You're going to beat them. How? Right? How? <coughs> 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 
Uh, DVD says the fans are wider and deeper than just the city. I agree. It's a Pacific Northwest thing. It goes to Vancouver. It goes out to Hawaii. It goes out to Montana. It goes to Idaho. It goes to Oregon. You know, it's, it, it goes worldwide, you know, just like with our Hawks. He's out, uh, what made, uh, and what made it to worst is just you gotten Kevin Durant prior to being sold to OKC. That would have been Durant's legacy. It would have. And then not only I think would have been great for the Seattle town, I think it would have been better for Kevin. I think Kevin going to OKC, part of what ends up having him then moving around the NBA and part of what has some people knock him on his legacy, a guy that would want to be in Seattle if he could. He, Seattle would have fit Kevin's personality perfectly. Perfectly. All of the mess and stuff that he has to deal with and going to some of these other markets that he was would not have been here. He would have slid perfectly into this city. It would have been a great marriage between talent and player and city. Um, yeah, that one hurts too. Especially because you knew Kevin was going to be so good. I think docs, Brandon, yeah. The point is, you aren't afraid to be real about issues. Not just talking head, waiting for the next commercial to pay the bills. Oh, and more cowbell. Just teasing. <laughs> Thank you, Dick to Docs, man. I think that's definitely something I would... Uh, I would set out to do with this channel and I'd want to accomplish in this channel above anything else. Be beyond being entertaining or anything else is to be able to be real and true about it and honest. Um, because I think there is a draw at times in doing this stuff to try to lean away from that. It's easier to take a little bit of that, that road of um, things being just kind of, you know, milk toast a little bit and not because people blow back, people get angry, people get in their, their feelings a little bit when you have to talk about this type of stuff. But it's the thing that I appreciate about you guys in the chat. Um, and being able to get these topics in general is that we're able to get into it without people losing their mind. You know, people can recognize that we're trying to talk this out and figure this out. And when it comes to this, you know, it's hard for any person out there to come to me as a Mariner fan and say, you don't have a right to be impatient at this point. You don't have a right to expect more at this point. I disagree. Mm, I disagree. Megan says, Cosell would agree with you totally, B. Well, I appreciate that, Megan. I would hope so. He certainly was one who told it as he saw it. Uh, Wu-Tang says, I wouldn't wish a team being taken on any fan base. No, I wouldn't either, Wu-Tang. I don't want our songs coming back because we stole it. I don't want that. I want it brought back because we get an expansion team. Then we get our Sonics back. That's the proper way. We're not stealing. We don't steal out here in Seattle. We don't take from nobody else. We create our own. That's how we roll out here. All right, well, uh, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap this up on this note. Another tremendous show out here today. Thank you again to all the people that donated here to the channel. Spectre 7, Nolan Arvance, uh, Kevin Mullen, um, Ski Nation, uh, Megan Gockrocher, Joe Mann, Kevin Lonice, Garth, and all of you guys. Thank you for all the donations throughout this channel and this show throughout this offseason. Really do um, appreciate all of that. We're going to be coming back tomorrow. I don't know what I'm going to do on a Thursday show quite yet on what I'm going to settle on, but we will be back five o'clock tomorrow doing some kind of show somehow around some kind of topic. Um, I have a couple of ideas on some shows, but I think we'll be getting into that. So we'll be back tomorrow for members of the channel. If you're not a member, we're going to be expanding these membership benefits here more going here into the future. Um, if you're not a member, I'll eventually be releasing these videos out to you guys. So it's just, it's just kind of a live benefit bump. So you'll eventually still get the content, but, uh, if you do want to get in on that live stream shows, we'll be doing on Thursday at five o'clock on the norm. Now, please do get membered up as the channel goes. Uh, <coughs> Daniel W says, it's not stealing. It's the basketball acquisition of love signed the Seattle mayor. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, Megan says, I really remember being so pissed when the Sonics were stolen and vowed. I would never watch the NBA until they came home. And I have it. <coughs> I haven't consistently either. I've said hell no on that as well. Nah, 
I'm, I'm good until you come back. That was a theft. That was a stealing. And especially to come on the heels as we had to have our own fans throw themselves in front of the tires of moving trucks when the Sonics were going to go. Or to have to have the Nintendo ownership come in at the 25th hour to buy the Mariners in order to keep Jeff Smolian from moving you to St. Petersburg. It's like we're constantly being threatened with the death of our sports franchises over and over again. We've had our Seattle pilots taken from our city to be moved to Milwaukee. You know, we've been down this road so many times already prior to them actually being moved. It's just like, ugh. Uh, DVD uh, says, Katie still loves it here and more, uh, and more so us. Even he knows we were robbed. His chance at helping a new legacy versus winning a sea ship with an explanation. Yeah, I agree. He's been, everything he said has been great. Um, he, and I think he would have stayed here his whole career, DVD. I really do. I do. Sad that he didn't. JL says, four more hours. Four more hours. We'll get back at it tomorrow, JL. I'll be back and I'll be back on Sunday too. DVD says, thanks for your time. Happy to finally catch a live one. Thanks for uh, reading all the comments too. My pleasure, DVD. It's kind of my thing. I do get behind on comments sometimes, but I do try if I can to catch everybody's comment, question, whatever might be posted in there. You've, you're watching me. It's the least I think I can do. You've done me that benefit to check out the channel and uh, I'm going to try to stay committed to that in the future. It gets hard in the season when we get the, I mean, hell, we had, I think, 1,100 people at one point in the chat during the year. So at one point that gets hard, but during the off times, off season times like this, when we can really kind of chop it up, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, Kings Al says, how about the AL West though? It's pretty tight competition this year and the AL is pretty strong, not considering the A's literally set on fire. It's tough. It's not easy, that's for sure. But it's also not tough in the, it's tough in the AFC East too, right? Or the, uh, yeah, AFC East, uh, the, out there in the East, it's also rough. You know, they got good players and teams out there too. Um, it's not easy being, building the winner in baseball. It's hard. There's no easy microwave solutions, that's for sure. Um, but, you can also at least be indicating to your fans that you're trying everything you can try, that you've got all guns firing if you're spending all of the possible money you could be spending too. And that's the place where they're falling maybe just a little bit short. Daniel says, uh, also, I'm optimistic Witherspoon can be great, just different uh, just different play inside out, follow in man, be our champ Bailey or something of that sort. I agree. I think he can be great inside, outside. I think long-term outside is the place for him, but I think he can still be very, very good out in that area of things. No doubt about it, Daniel. I'm, I'm with you on that. And uh, as I've said throughout this show, I feel like Slot is basically a de facto starter now in many ways. A joker does D, D. Eskridge trying to fight for his wide receiver three role. Maybe he can be a solid four if he can stay healthy. I'm hoping so, Joker. I think he is only a slot guy, even if he is healthy. But I think he's trying to carve himself out a role. And if he keeps playing like he's playing, he'll probably find him way on, himself onto this roster and will find himself with some touches. Joker says, and of course, Adam Frazier's raking in Baltimore. Yeah, it's just every hitter comes here and it's just, they become a shell of themselves. I think part of some of what they could look to do here to improve this situation is look at bringing the fences in and creating more of an offensive-friendly situation in that stadium rather than creating the most pitcher-friendly park in all of baseball. Seems like over the last 20 years, having a pitcher-friendly park has not been for the benefit of the team as a whole, and especially not for the benefit of developing hitters. Kings out, I'm worried about Eskridge, but if he has a good preseason, maybe he can be a trade value player. Maybe. There's only three games in the preseason now, King. Um, he'd have to light it up really good. I don't think there's going to be much of a trade market there for him. DVD says, we're all fans and all have a voice. You're sharing yours and giving us a louder voice at the same time. You are a champion amongst, amongst day players. Thanks again. Hey, well, thank you, DVD. That's very kind of you to put it that way, man. I, I really do appreciate it. And I love what I do. I love my interactions with you guys. I love talking about this stuff. 
Um, I always walk out of it, as I say, DVD, more educated, more informed than when I start these shows. And I love that. That's, that's the stuff that just gets me excited about just learning things better and more, getting to the deeper layers of these things. Joker says, it has to be your hitting coaches. I think hitting coaches, it's gotta be the coach a little bit, not uh, pushing things as well he needs to push them. That's a little bit of as well. This comes from the discipline of your coach, top down. This is one of the few places a, a manager can control in baseball, I think. It's a little bit of everything, a little bit of everything. Yeah, Joker, bring in left field a bit. That's what, you, that's what they need to do at this point, in my opinion. Um, I understand it helps pitching staffs develop to have this, and that this has been in the backbone of you creating you know, strong pitching performances, but it does seem to have come at the cost of developing hitters. Too many hitters come in here and are hitting a certain way, fall off a cliff, then leave here, and then go back to hitting decently, right? Too many of those stories. Too many of those Adam Frazier-type situations. And enough of that data to be like, oh, we got to kind of do something else. Yeah. Got to do something else. Joker, maybe the Seattle weather. Well, that's what causes the stadium to play like a pitcher's park is that it's the, you got the marine layer in there and then you have these long ass fences away from the plate and the combination makes it this, it's very extreme pitcher's park. So move the fences in. Let's counter that a bit, right? DVD says, I'll join more often. Schedule permitted. Thanks everyone. Appreciate you, DVD. I'll be doing these Wednesdays and Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday shows are the goal. And then we're going to be doing the Thursday shows for the uh, members of the channel. I'll keep trying to do that throughout this whole off season as we go along. And certainly I'll be ramping it up as we get closer to the year. Spectre 7, Julio's having a tough second year this year. Certainly kind of a sophomore slump. He's in the midst of it. Don't think it's going to be where he's going to be at long-term, but he's just not able to help carry the day a little bit this year like he was last year to such a great degree. Joker says, heard they have also have the same problem at the Oakland Coliseum. Makes sense. Does sound like they're going to try to get themselves to Vegas out there when it's all said and done. All right, well, we'll wrap this up on that note, folks. Thank you for watching here tonight. Appreciate all the uh, comments and the kind comments at that. Uh, Dick Docs, one day closer to Hawaii. Indeed, I'll be heading to Hawaii in about 13 days or so. But we will get a couple more shows in before that time period. Still going to keep the uh, schedule tight and on point. So do be checking us out here Wednesday, Thursday, Wednesday, Sunday, 5 o'clock. I'll be back Thursday for members of the channel here. Some great discussion tonight on this channel. I know there's some folks worried about Devin Witherspoon. Hopefully tonight maybe I gave you a little bit of, of uh, you know, everything's going to be okay on this. That This is going to still work out in the right direction. That this is not an indication of the guy busting. That this is simply the Seahawks trying to maximize this roster for the 2023 season. How do we get the best defense out on the football field? How do we get the best 11 guys ready to roll this next upcoming year to hopefully take this defense to the promised land, to hopefully take this team to a Lombardi trophy. I'll be back this Thursday and then this Sunday, but until I am, I hope I don't have to remind you, but I'm going to do it anyway. Please don't you ever forget, even as we are in the midst of the darkest time of the offseason, the quietest time of the offseason, we are never quiet. Here are we, 12s. We are always loud, even in the depths of June, even with training camp still a little bit away. We are still going to be loud, we're still going to vibrant, and they're going to always hear from us. So please don't you ever forget, ever, don't you ever forget. Go Hawks!